the garden help you need. Now, Mid-South Gardening on the Mighty 990, powered by Palladio Home and Garden, with your hosts, Veda Vance, Kenneth Mabry, and Jim Crowder. Good morning, gardeners. Welcome to Mid-South Gardening. Glad you can join us this morning. The, uh... Uh, music started and Kenneth goes, oh, we're about to get up. <laughs> I'm like, no, that's not the alarm. That means you better be no, awake. I think I'm going to wake up. All right. <laughs> and if I've got this little kind of crooked neck thing going on, it's because mm-hmm. I do have a crick in my neck over here, okay? This is day two. Mm-hmm. No better today than it was yesterday. So uh, if I kind of look at y'all funny, I have to turn my whole body to look at you. Right. Yeah. So I guess you, you got So what did you do? Yeah, yeah. I just slept on it wrong. <laughs> you know, I think. I can't blame You're it on. You're supposed to make up some great story. Mm-hmm. Well, <laughs> I can make up one for you. Well, I've got a great story. Uh, first of all, good morning to you, Jim, and you, Miss Veda. Thank you. You know, I've had this beautiful head, this beautiful mimosa tree in my backyard. Mm, had? Yeah, we had a storm that came through last Sunday night, right? Right. Straight line oh, winds. Yeah. I mean, like 90 a, miles an hour. Like a tornado coming 90, through my backyard. 90 miles an hour. Depending on took, where you live. Took out about 30 feet of our fence. Yeah. Oh, my God. Oh, yeah. Wow. And you could, we were upstairs, and you could feel the house move. <laughs> That's the first time. Several inches. Jim, mm. I'm telling you that I could actually feel the house kind of shaking. I mean, mm-hmm. I, and I really thought that there was going to be some damage to mm-hmm. the house I was in. I'm serious. Yeah. But uh, that beautiful mimosa tree, my front, you know, the tulip popper's fine in the front yard. Not even a limb came out of that thing. <laughs> Which is good because your house would be flat as a pancake if that fell. It's almost worth it. But the one in the backyard, the mimosa tree, gone through oh. the fence, through the my neighbor's backyard. Oh. oh, yeah. And thank God it didn't touch his house, though. Uh-huh. And I, and it, it got really dark. And for people out there you know, that lost electricity at the same mm-hmm. time, they know that, too. And I, I could see something. I was looking out. So I told Gina to grab the dog and jump in the pantry. While I'm sitting there spellbound looking out the window, yeah. like, I'm going to get sucked out of this window, you know. But my dang mimosa tree, so I don't know, you know, do I plant another mimosa tree mm-hmm. or yeah, do I just put like something that. else back there? You like that. And mimosa trees, well, to me, a mimosa tree southern, and mm-hmm. it does remind me of growing up. It's got unique flowers, mm-hmm. unique foliage. It smells nice. Yeah, so I, I think to. I am. I think I'm mm-hmm. <laughs> I think I'm going to just re- get, well, as soon as I get this one cut up. Uh-huh. You're going to have to go dig one because I don't know yeah. a reputable nurseryman that sells The last one that I planted, I did have to go out to buy a pond and just dig right. the thing yeah, up. I remember. Hey, what about the, remember when there was the black mimosas? The chocolate one, yeah. Have you seen any any one of those alive in Memphis? Yeah. Um, a good friend, uh, Bill Farrell, has one oh. that has been around for a long time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Good, good. I so, wondered because they uh, were pretty cool, but but I, I got to get rid of this big root ball. You know when a tree falls uh-huh. over, you know the the roots and everything yeah. in the little bed that was around this tree comes up with right. the root ball. So uh, I've got somebody coming out to kind of give me an estimate of what it's going to cost well, to get rid of this thing. Patio but. faces uh, um, east, just enough to usually when the storms come through, you're sheltered. These, I mean, not good because it's <clears> still all over you, but you're still a little sheltered. So as soon as I heard the storm, I ran out on the patio so I could just watch how the trees were bending and it was so dark and moving back and forth. It was, I just love storms, but it was very unfortunate how many people are still out of light. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's now. crazy. Now, and then the further east you went from Midtown mm-hmm. or, you know, I mean, it, Bartlett, you're talking Millington, Bartlett, 
uh, on down through Cordova. I mean, it it got pretty oh, pretty hairy. Yes, I'm telling you, because Sunday Monday morning, um, we lost the person at water, so I'm going to go in early Monday morning, and I'm like, well, you know, it stormed and rained and everything, so I'm just not going to go in as early. And when I get there. Somebody's running their sprinkler in their front yard, and I'm going, how silly is that? It poured, and then I'm looking around as I'm getting closer, and I went, no. Got into the garden center, mm-mm. This was Hurricane Elvis Jr., you know? Yeah. It only hit a small part of the town. Philip says well, yes. Well, Kenneth, I think you said you were out of power about three hours or so. Yeah, and I thought I was going to lose my mind, and, uh, and ours, dare, was, and ours was out for three out days. Yeah, yeah, we had two, right, <laughs> <laughs> and you were going to lose your mind in three hours. God. Uh-uh. Well, you know, the problem with losing your power is not knowing when it's going to come back on. And that's that's what just plays with your head. So, you know, thank God, Gina had just got through, my wife had just got through cooking dinner, and she had just cut the oven off when the power went out. Mm-hmm. So I had these uh, flashlights that we just kind of stuck around the kitchen. We're sitting at the table kind of eating a candle, a candlelight dinner, <laughs> you know, with all the stuff that's going mm-hmm. on outside. And... You know, it doesn't, I promise you, it didn't take long for that house to start heating up. And I know everybody yeah. that lost the power, they understand where I'm coming from. But then I went at, when I opened the door, uh, it actually felt cooler outside than it did mm-hmm, inside. Right. But I'm thinking, do I dare open these doors and windows? Then I'm going to lose every bit of cool air that I do have. So, golly. It, well, speaking of your, your tulip poplar in your front yard, I saw somewhere somebody posted a picture and they said, did I plant the right tree here? And they circled it, and it was a tulip poplar. <laughs> and I'm like, well, if they ask run. Kenneth, no. <laughs> yeah. It was too close to the house. Right, it was. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That, I thought that was on And, of course, side, now, you know, side. the heat's on. I mean, it's, golly, it's... Uh, it's the last day, though. It. Yes, Jim, yes, yes. It's, it's, it's hot. You know, uh-huh. and, and thinking back last summer, remember it was about three weeks that we had this kind mm-hmm. of weather... No rain whatsoever, because I remember uh, a landscaper that I know that also takes care of the irrigation at this commercial site. He said, don't worry about irrigation. I'll take care of it. I'll make sure. Well, he forgot to go by there one week, and the irrigation wasn't working. So about 15 Mm -hmm. arbovitas were toast by the time he got over there. and and Yeah, this is last year. So I'm thinking, we've all been through this before. Mm -hmm. You know, right. but so why does it feel so new to me this year? Because we had a wonderful weather up to it, and then it just—it was almost like our flash freeze. You know, we had great mm-hmm. weather, and then all of a sudden it was so cold, and so our weather was great. Now we're so hot. I think that's why it feels. And it takes you a minute to catch up with having enough water in your system to endure this. Maybe that's it. Because it, like I said, we've all gone through this before. This is nothing new, but. You know, I made I made some notes last night. You know about the heat, and then I also my second line was like, "Here, how, how come watering can be so complex?" Oh my word! I, you know, I'm we talk about this. Exhausted with it right now. <laughs> watering should be easy. We're just putting water on plants, but it's not that simple, uh-huh. and it's it's crazy. And you know, and it really just shows its ugly head if irrigation is not working properly. If irrigation is overworking. If we on our end, Jim, or, or if we believe irrigation is <laughs> <Right>. working, <laughs> you know. But if we're not doing our part also by being vigilant, you know, and making sure the all the zones are coming on like they should, things are getting watered like they should. You know, we made a comment a couple of weeks ago that it's one thing to water established plants and shrubs mm-hmm. and trees. 
It's another thing to water trees and shrubs that have been planted a month ago. Completely Absolutely. different, you know, mm-hmm. and we're relying on these irrigation systems to completely water, saturate the roots of these newly planted trees and shrubs, who and it doesn't the, work that way. Who had the caffeine this morning? I'm just, I just, but I <laughs> well, was thinking, I was, baby, I was just thinking last night, mm-hmm. watering sounds so simple. Mm-hmm. Just go water the plants. Yeah. I've got a lot of water the plant stories for, I mean, we, uh, since we moved over to a different area, the irrigation, we just didn't get it set up like I would like it, but you know, you got people that can water, you can, you can set up your, um, you know, things on timers and all. Right. But, you know, the thing is, is you get a system, you teach everybody as much as possible to use it. But there's so much information. And so the one time I went home. <laughs> of course. Earlier, because I was working the whole week. The one time I went home, the sprinkler had stuck. Mm. So it only watered like a pie shape. When they pulled the other one out, the hose was kinked. Mm. So no water went off there. And when they were trying to turn the timer on, sometimes we turn it on manually Mm -hmm. to water some stuff. Somehow they reset (laughs) the thing. And I'm like, how how could all this go wrong at one one, time? One time. Yeah. So there's all those little things. I'm teaching you to go home early. I know. What was I even (laughs) thinking in the summer to go home early? (laughs) Well, when we get back from the break, I mean, there are some better times to water uh, than others. And there are some things you can put on your lawn uh, to make water wetter. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. You know, All so right. We'll and during with... the 8 o'clock hour, we're going to talk about tomato diseases. Mm, love diseases. Yeah. Just in time for the t- great tomato contest, right? Yep. All right, y'all. We got lots to talk about, and we'd love to hear what's been going on in your garden. Uh, you can give us a call, 260-5926. Good morning. Thanks for joining us this morning. You're listening to KWAM. You can find us on Facebook Live. You can post questions on Facebook Live. Yeah. Uh, the Mighty 990 Facebook page, uh, Jan Farmer, Miss Childers, and Jamie, they said good morning, Dirt Buddies, and good, good morning. morning to y'all, guys. Appreciate you tuning in. But we're talking about, you know, the heat is on, guys. And I'm telling you, water, water, water is the name of the game. Um, one of the things about watering, if, especially if you're on irrigation, uh, I always like to water early in the morning, really between, say, 3 and 5 o'clock in the morning. And the reason being is if you have excessive moisture, uh, you have the rest of the day for that excessive moisture to dry off, okay? So you're not potentially creating a fungal environment. That's that's one thing. But also you get better penetration uh, of water if you are watering early in the morning than you are, say, at, at noon. Now, Jim, there's invaded. There's always been this myth that you can't water during the day when the sun's out because the little water droplets act like a magnifying glass and they burn your leaves. Well, that's not so. No, true. no, but yeah. it's no, but truth, it's no. no truth at all. <laughs> no. But people still believe that. So my point is, if you need to water at noon, you water at noon. If there's something needs watering, you water it when it needs right. it. Right. But <laughs> don't let it sit there. We'll I just have this real problem envisioning Kenneth up at 3 o'clock in the morning with a water hose. Because oh, <laughs> it really needs it. No, and, and Jim, that would be more for like <laughs> irrigation, you know, that, that automatically comes on. Yeah. Um, but yeah, try to water early in the morning if you can. It's, it's much better than, say, watering at night. I was talking to a gentleman the other day. He had just put down a pallet of zoysia side. And he was said, Kenny, I'm, I'm really keeping this stuff watered. I'm going out there. 
you know, about seven o'clock in the afternoon and just really flooding this. And I said, that's, that's all fine and good because I'd rather see you water than not water. I said, but ideally, I'd prefer you to water in the morning. Yeah, here, that's, that's the best. We don't have a water conservation issue here. Now, right. if you were out west, it would be better to water in the evening because you'll get less evaporation. You'll get more bang for your buck right. if yeah. you're putting water down then. And, but humidity usually isn't as big an issue there as it is here. Um, so you know, I like to tell people anytime before about 3 p.m., that's good. Yeah. You know, it will should have time to dry off right. before then. Right. So that way you're not just creating that fungal environment, Jim, right. especially when you're talking about watering grass. Yeah. Right. And then, you know, as far as fescue goes, poor old fescue, you know, the grass that grows <laughs> in the shade. Yeah. You better be keeping that stuff watered, I'm telling you. And it might even take, you know, watering two times a day uh, in this extreme heat that we're having. I mean, fescue has a hard enough time making it through our summers as it is. So make sure you're keeping that uh, that fescue water. <clears throat> and then the product that I was talking about a while ago, making water wetter, I know that I just love saying that, uh, is a product called Aqueduct. Mm-hmm. And there's another product called Percolate. You can spray the uh, the lawn, actually, with that product. And it really makes the water penetrate the lawn. Yeah, because there's like a tension <clears throat> in water <throat> when it hits, and that surfactant helps break the tension. That's right. To allow the water to percolate to penetrate. through. That's yeah. exactly right. And that's why I think rain is wetter than us watering because the tensions broke with the rain. I mean, you've because seen, it's just, you know, wouldn't it be harder raindrops than your... I mean, you've seen water bugs sprinkler. run over water, you know? Yeah, yeah. They, that? Yeah. Yeah, there's the tension in the water. And then, you know, and honestly, I've got to cut my grass today. And I'm thinking I'm going to raise my lawnmower again. Uh, and I'm... Because I'm going to go with these longer blades uh, through the summer than I have been. I mean, I, lo- I love the look when it's cut it shorter. Uh, it just, to me, it just looks more neat, more mm-hmm. kept up, if you will. But I don't care at this point. I'm going to raise that lawnmower blade, not as high as it'll go, but I'm going to raise it either one or two notches, both for the front and the backyard. Does that mean you get to mow less? Maybe, baby. Uh-huh. <laughs> but also, I'm conserving water. It's going to keep my soil temperatures cooler. Uh, because you never want to cut off more than a third of the blade at one time anyway. So I'm going to raise that lawnmower blade. Uh, maybe, Veda, like you said, where I can get away with, you know, not yeah. having to cut quite as much. But more than anything, I want to keep that soil temperature cooler because, you know, with this temperature that we're having, and I know summer to me is just now beginning. Absolutely, you know. yeah. So all those things, though, as far as the watering, raising the lawnmower blade, watering when you should water, uh, using percolate if you need to or have to, especially if you're on a slope and the water's running off the lawn into the uh, curb, I think all those things will help us keep everything watered. Right. So, Jim, you, you looked at the weather this coming week. What do you think about it? Well, it's going to be back down in the low to mid-90s, uh, but we've got a fairly <clears throat> substantial chance of rain almost every day. Yeah. So, Somewhere, you know, thunderstorms. So, of course, you know, Kenneth's house and my house, it won't happen. No, of course uh, not. <laughs> but anywhere else, um, I think you're likely to get some showers this week. But, you know, the, the important thing is when you water, give them enough water. Even with your pots, make sure that you thoroughly water it. Because once that soil mass becomes dry, water, when you want it's going to take the path of least resistance. And if it's pulled away from the side, your water's going to run right around the side, come out the bottom, and you're going to go, oh, good, I got yes, this. Yes. So, you know, <laughs> it's important that you make sure that, that root ball gets moist. So, 
you know, I like to take a, a long screwdriver okay. and open up some holes mm-hmm. just, you know, around the in the pot, particularly if it's a really large pot, uh, so that we know that water is getting down into the center of that. Uh, so anyway, um, just. Yeah. yeah, yeah, we're getting some reprieve, I mean, and that is wonderful. It's like I was able to endure the three days. I just kept telling everyone, just endure, just keep us, just if you can keep it watered and healthy, right. then when it drops again, just a little bit enough, you know, we can all breathe, the plants can breathe, everything's going to look fine. So we got one more day to go, but is today as bad as the past two? Well, it's like 97. You might as well say 100 oh, a well, day. it's so. the same, yeah. And then the devil's advocate is... At the same time, and I hate to say this, but you don't want to keep things too wet. Mm-hmm. And there are certain plants. Because they can't pull the water no, up No, and there's either. certain plants that just won't tolerate wet feet. And that's what I meant a while ago when I said how come, you know, in our mind, watering can be so complex. Mm-hmm. And it really is if you think about it. But still, with this heat, I'd rather see people slightly overwater than grossly underwater. You know? Yeah. Yep. Man. Well, there's still... You know, there's still so much things that you can do in the garden. That's for sure. Now it's almost like just running around, keeping things fertilized or, well, you know, like when some of our things wilt, the the rule is you, you're going to water it with a watering can, but um, I have them mix fertilizer in there, like, mm-hmm. well, soil additives, like the micro brew and the tiger um, tiger bloom, tiger bloom together, which are fox farm products, which are really good yeah. water soluble plant foods. Yeah, so, so I, I have them water with that, like go over it with the water hose first, and then anything that we just see stress, we water with it, yeah. just to help it recover with the um, fact that we let it stress so bad. Yeah, and then that way you can have some longer longevity, longer longevity yeah. with your plants because you've given them some extra nutrients to survive that big time wilt they just experience well and what about you know for people that don't use mulch in their beds this is the time of year where mulch really comes into play also because it does help hold that moisture in 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 the soil there's no doubt about it and then what about even using a light layer if you have room like let's say if you got a big pot you got a little tree in there i mean i don't mind putting a layer of mulch in a container, oh, we do to hold Absolutely. that moisture in. It's beautiful too, you know. And I don't care what. <laughs> there you go, Beta. <laughs> I don't care what kind of mulch it is, whether it's you know the hardwood, the pine, the cedar, cypress, whatever. Uh, but mulch definitely will help hold moisture in. And I know things out there like boxwoods and Japanese maples and azaleas and on down the line that are very shallow rooted. You know, they don't want a lot of mulch on their root system. You know, they really don't. But a light layer. I'm not saying you got to use a heavy layer. But even a light layer of mulch will help hold that moisture in uh, better than, of course, if you had a bed that didn't have mulch in it. And if you're growing things like tomatoes in the pot, the mulch helps prevent splashing, helps limit some of your diseases. However, you want to be careful what kind of mulch you use. And we're going to get into this, but did you know you should not use hardwood mulch in a flower pot or around tomatoes, period? I did not know that. Yep. Because... And I'm thinking, thinking, why would it make any difference? Because... A great deal of the mulch carries verticillium wilt. Oh, okay. That's something we'll get into, like you said, when we're yep. talking about. Yep. Now, conifer mulch doesn't, so it's okay to use cedar or cypress. Uh, and it would be okay if you happen to have a white oak tree or a poplar or um, hmm. there's a few others that you can grind up and still use. But a lot of trees will carry that, and it's not a good idea. Of course, you know, it's like... <laughs> a. L- 
a lot of diseases, mm-hmm. they're always there. <clears throat> right. And then when the conditions get right. But uh, it's, uh, and I did not know that either until doing some research for what we're going to talk about during the last hour. I, I would never know that because I would hate to go out there and do everything just right. Mm-hmm. You know, and then the last thing I do is go out there and put this hardwood mulch down around my, my tomatoes right. thinking yep. I'm doing the right thing and potentially. God. Yeah, I don't think the risk is very large when using bagged mulch, but I would I be a little concerned about where they're doing, uh, like out at the Agri Center where you can get the free mulch just going out there. There's the, there is that possibility. So mm. sometimes the mulches aren't composted enough. Oh yeah, yeah. They're uh, if you mm-hmm. if it's still steaming, uh, uh-uh, probably yeah. not a good idea yet. And we've right. all you seen know? the big mulch when piles you got smoke rising off in ninety degrees in the south side. Oh man, <laughs> and it's really it's hard to put that mulch out. And I still see people still doing it. You're thinking if it's if it's hot. It's steaming and warm to your hands, and it's summertime. How are you going to put that mulch out? It seems like you would think, if this is doing this to me, what's it going to do to my plant? And we see that. Whether it's bulk mulch or even bagged mulch, people go out there in the middle of the summer, that mulch is so hot you can hardly touch it. They'll put it down around their bedding plants. Next thing you know, their bedding plants are burning up Mm -hmm. the same day they put that mulch down. Speaking of being a landscaper for a while, it's very almost impossible to coordinate whether the mulch is going to be hot or not when it's the day that you have a chance to Yeah, when to they mulch. deliver it. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Y'all hang on for more fun. We'll be back. 260-5926. Good morning, gardeners. Welcome to Mid-South Gardening. Give us a call, 901-260-5926. you can't stay awake, you can listen to our podcast. Uh, you can also give us a, well, you can give us a call, 901-260-5926, Facebook Live. Yeah, or you can go to the Mighty 990 Facebook page and shoot us a text anytime you want. Like Veda said, if you miss all of this, you can always go back at any time, kwamradio.com, and listen to the podcast. And I've had a lot of people coming into the garden center. Uh, that a say they really enjoy uh, listening, but they uh, a lot of people come in saying they love listening to the podcast. They go out there when they're doing yard yeah. work and listen to the podcast. Yeah, we're just all hanging around yeah. talking. Were you going to talk about mulch next, or was that something later? No, I was go- just going to talk about it a little bit during during our tomato <laughs> segment. Okay, so. so I had somebody text me and he was like, "Okay, what's happening over winter to my plant digging raccoons? Not that I miss them." This calendar year, I've only seen one at a time and appearing only three times in 2023. Last year, I would record multiples every night on my plant-level security cameras. Notice Mm plant-level security cameras. The one minor digging, no, there's only one minor digging this year in the wet lawn and not in the plant beds. Did the winter do them in? Did they go south, or has a blessed plague been sent to them? Neither, neither, neither. They're still out there. <laughs> Let's hope for all three. <laughs> yeah, right, right. He's just saying, for some reason, the, the raccoons aren't hanging out in his yard anymore. Well, I guarantee if he goes out there and puts three or four pieces of sod down, then they'll come out there and roll, <laughs> roll it, up it up to see what's under it. That's <laughs> all he needs to do idea. to bring them back. But He's one that has the fescue lawn, too. Yeah. Oh, man, was it some work. But, but you know, it's it's crazy. You know, there varmints are everywhere. I mean, and who would have ever believed that there's, God dang, there's just as many varmints here in the core of the city as there is in the whole state of Mississippi. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we, you know, somewhat learned to live with them. But 
Raccoons, uh, he's just lucky because they're out there. Yeah, I guess some, somebody else's yard's calling their attention, but they are so cute to watch. Oh, to see, there but she goes. We'll just Jim. not talk about that. Mm-hmm. Not cute to watch them dig up your plants, though, or, or anyway. Let's go to Howard calling from Memphis. Good morning, Howard. You're in the Mid-South Garden. Good morning, y'all. How are y'all? Doing great, buddy. Good morning to you. Good morning. So my question is, is there, what is the disease that's going around Memphis killing all the cedar trees, and is there a way to prevent it? Now, you say cedar tree, or are we talking about the cryptomerias that look like a cedar that were killed during the flash freeze? Well, I, I, I'm not sure exactly which ones they are, but there's an awful lot of them around Memphis that are dead. Yeah. That's our cryptomerias. Yeah, probably. Okay. Japan, Japanese cedars is a more common name for them. Yeah, yeah. and Howard, they, uh, it's amazing how many cryptomerias were out there, and we just didn't realize how many until they all turned brown. But it was that yeah. it, it was that flash freeze that came through before Christmas, and it just, okay. I mean, it decimated them. And, you know, we were saying last weekend we were starting to see a little bit of green growth on some of them, but 99% of the cryptomeria that are out there, I think they're they're toast. Yeah. Okay. So I I must have called it by the wrong name. I was just curious what it was because I have different little evergreens in my yard. I was trying to see if there was a way to prevent that. But mm, yeah. No. As long as you don't have a cryptomeria right now, you're fine. <laughs> <laughs> you're <Yeah>. fine. <laughs> All right. Thank y'all. Thanks, Howard. Thanks for calling. Have a great day. And really didn't call him the wrong name. We're Cryptomeria, or you said Japanese Japanese Cedar. Right. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. But it's, uh, you know, what he, Howard thought it might be, you know, an insect or Mm -hmm. disease. Um, But it was just the the extreme sudden drop in temperatures, which did the damage to evergreens in general. But I never in my lifetime would have thought that these large established, I mean, trunks 12 inches wide, cryptomerias would be so decimated uh well you know also if you 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 should look and see make sure it wasn't the arbovita getting the bagworms because we're seeing that a lot the cryptomeria also a lot of uh uh tip blight on g- different types of junipers and what mm. we call cedars around here really are junipers mm. so. we'll yeah, have to expound so. on that jim okay um but <laughs> but honestly i mean you know Initially, I was thinking people were either cutting down or digging up a lot of these evergreens that were damaged uh, during the flash freeze. And justifiably so, a lot of them needed to come up, right? I'm talking about evergreens in general. But we have seen where a lot of these plants are slowly coming back, whether it's red-tipped photinas, whether it's clieras, uh, camellias, viburnums, viburnums, on, on, and on. Uh, Now, even the sweet olives. Now, that doesn't mean that a lot of these wasn't killed to the ground, and a lot of them are just coming back from the root, okay? But I'm still scratching my head on these cryptomeria, and I'm thinking, okay, if we just give them enough time, you know, maybe they will flush back out like all these other plants that we're seeing finally, mm-hmm. uh, you know, to some extent flush back out. <laughs> but every arborist that I've talked to, they are just saying, Mm, they're just probably not right. going to come back out. Yeah, I have real doubts whether or not they're going to produce enough green foliage mm-hmm. to get them through the next year. Yeah, right. Uh, That's what we're thinking. You know, because you, you, so many plants have that stored carbohydrates that we're able to force some new growth on them. But normally, anything that's evergreen has been producing <laughs> food since you know, March or so to, right. when the sap started to rise. 
and you're not getting any of that. Right. So there's nothing going back into the root system. Right. So I, you know, we're not uh, we're not over with the damage from this. I yeah. mean, it's going to be you know on some things three or four years or more before we see them totally go bass backwards. Mm. Oh. <laughs> The thrills of gardening. The thrills oh, yeah. of that English language, right? There. I know. <laughs> <laughs> so we'll, I mean, we'll see. I mean. Uh-huh. There's so many things that's just making me insane. I want to prune so bad because I'm seeing, I mean, not my stuff. <clears throat> so I can't just, or do I have the energy or the <clears throat> desire to really stand on the road and prune somebody's hedges? But you, it's all flushing out in the middle really nicely. And I can see where it's stopped. You know, it's the past couple mm-hmm. weeks it hasn't progressed anymore so now we're going to have to start pruning off the dead it's if if the dead hasn't revived yet i think it's a good time to prune it off well and my next question is even some of the hollies you know we're seeing a lot of hollies whether you do see a little green growth starting to flush out and and you see some growth towards the interior uh coming out slowly but surely but you still see a lot of brown limbs in these hollies i mean at this point do we just call it a day yeah, or, do we, we, yeah. or, or do we still say, hey, you know, Mother Nature, we've seen it. You know, do we just give them time and maybe at least until this fall and see how they look and make a determination then? Yeah, you know, we cut all the dead, out of what we were sure was dead, out of our uh, oak, oak leaf holly back early March or so. Yeah. Um, and it has recovered nicely. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's to the point now where we need to start taking out <clears throat> the tips of some of these mm-hmm. sprouts that are six inches long or so, so that they can re-sprout to thicken the plant back yeah. up. But <laughs> it has, uh, I'm, I'm surprised that it's put on as much foliage as it has. So I'm real pleased with the results so yeah. far. And these are hollies in general. I know yours was an oak leaf or an Oakland holly, right. but Carol, in general. Carol did all that pruning. And Carol did it she? pruning and yeah. she did it right. And what know? about yeah. the Mary Nails? Under the, uh, you know, the... Direct care uh, of me. Right, right, right. <laughs> <laughs> I hope to God she's still asleep. <laughs> and I was Audrey, trying, Carol. <laughs> Audrey Fielding, she just texted in. She said, hey, y'all, it's uh, really steamy out here. Mm-hmm. So you're right. And, you know, it's going to get worse. So um, I don't know. You know, it's been it's been a pretty trying growing season so far. I mean, all that winter damage. Uh, and, of course, feeding, I think, will really help stimulate growth this year. I think if any year that you haven't fed, this is the year to feed your, your shrubs. Yeah. Uh, continue, like Jim and Veda saying, you know, go in there and clean out the dead tissue. If you know it's dead, dead tissue is not coming back. Might as well go ahead and cut the dead tissue out. Only Not only for aesthetic reasons, because, like I said, cutting it back will stimulate new growth. Yeah. At this point, I am going to let some things ride for a while because it's too hot. <laughs> That's something I don't want to play with in the garden right now. So maybe I'll let it ride a little bit longer and and um, before I prune it out. But it really needs to be just so it can flush better. But anyway, there's so many things to do in the garden. And, you know, we were talking about watering early, too. And one thing that um, I think about is people that got either sandy soil versus more clay soil. Like the clay soil, the water can percolate out. And sandy soil, it just it doesn't have as much width as clay soil does with the same amount of water. Like the water just doesn't percolate out. It just goes straight down. And so a lot of times you, you that's why you have to water more when, when it drains out faster than you do when it's really clay. 
Unless, of course, it's a cactus or a succulent, and they're supposed to drain fast. Yeah, we're talking about in plants in, in containers, containers or, or in the ground. Or, yeah, I mean, because you know, if your soil's real porous, you can add compost, things like that to the top to hold the moisture a little bit longer. But sometimes, think about it, the fact it depends on the soil. You can water plants the same amount, but if the soil is a little different, then one's going to react differently to the other with the same amount of water. Yeah, and, and, you know, most of us are pretty blessed to have clay soil, as Jim loves to mm-hmm. say. But get out in Harbor Town, down there close to the river, it's a lot more sandy down there than it is right yeah. here. It is. It's a whole different watering thing down there. All right, let's go to a break. Y'all get your questions together. We'd love to hear what you've got going on in your yard. 260-5926. Welcome back to Mid South Garden. Glad we can join you today. Yeah, we I'm with Palladio. You are, and I'm Kenneth with Damas Garden <laughs> Centers, and I'm Jim Crowder. And we want to thank Palladio for sponsoring this program. We appreciate that, and we also want to thank um, our good friend um, Kenny Crenshaw out at uh, Herba Systems mm-hmm. for joining us as a partner. You're so right. Let me kill your weeds, and Miss Veda, girl, you'll find her at Palladio's, and you'll find me at. Danwest Garden Centers. And, you know, as long as it's hot like this, you'll find me in my recliner. <laughs> but you can, you can uh, of course, if you're not a member, you should join our, our Mid-South Garden Facebook group. Um, Facebook went in and changed some of my rules in the last week. They Is took that a, what happened? They took away the rule that I had that all pictures had to be yours. Yeah. They went in and took that out. How they took can out they two do of them. that? Well, they can do anything they want. What if I don't want somebody's... I, don't, oh. I fixed it. How'd you but, do that? Oh, I, I, I wrote the original rules. Yeah. You know, and um, when I pulled up the rules the other day, it says you can add two more rules. Well, you can only have 10 rules. Oh. So they had taken two of those out. So uh, And I, I merged one because it was mm-hmm. just kind of an advertising thing. You think there's anybody yeah. left, Jim, that hasn't joined this Facebook page? I don't well, think yeah, there we're, is. we're getting real close to 10,000 now. But, um, you know, tell your friends. But anyway, I can be reached pretty much, you know, anytime because I'm answering questions sometimes at 2 o'clock in the morning. Uh, so turn your phone down if you don't want the answer right. in the middle of the night. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so, uh, but, you know, it's a good place to post your pictures. Uh, we have lots of good information under the file section. If, you know, if you're looking for, if you're concerned about plants being poisonous, we got a good list in there. If you're wanting something, you got a space that's just wet all the time. We've got a good uh, file on plants for moist or wet spaces, <clears throat> for fall color, um, for, uh, we, I mean, the fowls are to me, one of the best parts yeah, about it, the it whole really page, is, you know, about peach varieties, plum varieties, kiwi varieties. I mean, you know, and, and we're going to be adding more here soon. I've got a whole bunch done on broadleaf evergreens and on flowering trees and shrubs. So, and what's the name of your Facebook page? It, it, you should know that. By I now. do know it's, it, Jim. It's Mid-South Gardening. <laughs> Gardening in USDA zones 6, 7, and 8. But, that, you know, if you've got friends in Minnesota, they're going to get a lot of good information from it. Mm-hmm. So, you know, ask them to join. Uh, and all you have to do, if you're a member already, is just invite somebody. We're going to bring them in automatically. If you just, if someone stumbles across it, they have to answer a few questions. You know, and did you really envision that you would have this many followers, honestly. I, you, I did not. Um, yeah. You know, I, I just knew that I had a lot of information that I've gathered through the years and, and so much of it from other gardeners, you yeah. know. Mm-hmm. Um, and I used to, before I had children, had a, 
had a, a, a um, kind of photographic memory, you know. Mm-hmm. I could remember things, you know. They said before. Like three alpha acetonal for 404 Hudgens, like a barn and things like that. And, uh, <laughs> you know, but I, you know, now I can't remember why I went to the refrigerator. Mm-hmm. Uh, but things <laughs> so from bizarre. back then I still remember. But, you know, short-term memory has just so, so gone It's not just us. You know <laughs> what I'm saying? Uh, so anyway, but I had all this information. And particularly there was some, uh, Diane Mucci asked mm-hmm. me one time, she said, what are we going to do when you're gone? Mm-hmm. And I said, well, mm-hmm. celebrate probably. Yeah. But uh, uh, she said, you got so much information. And so I thought, well, you know, try to share. This it. is before I joined back with the program here a year or so before. And I thought, well, you know, I'm just going to start a little Facebook group. And I started, I, yeah, I just kind of just stayed out of any of the social media stuff because I, to, to me, yeah. it's just like Betty White said, total waste of time. Yeah. Um, but, uh, there was a lady who was raising uh, some birds in Ohio that I wanted to talk to, and that's the only way she would talk to you was through Facebook. Mm-hmm. So I joined Facebook to be able to communicate with her, and she never did even talk oh. to me. Uh, but anyway, then I had this Facebook thing, you know, membership, and just said, well, why don't I just start a little group, you know? So I did. With I think I invited 10 people. There were 11 of us eventually. And now there's almost 10,000. Almost 10,000 now, yeah. And uh, get a lot of feedback. And, you know, and you, you, one of the nice things about Facebook is it will tell you how many people are looking at stuff, which of your posts are, yeah. are uh, the most successful, yeah. and whether or not the group's doing well. So far, and and so far, it's been very very good. Uh, but it's a good place to brag, you know, mm-hmm. show what you've done in mm-hmm. your garden because people will ask questions about what plants are, and this is what the group is all about. Uh, we don't allow posting pictures, like I say, of some something else. Mm-hmm. We don't want you looking up and doing um, screenshots of bugs that you know nothing about. Right. Um, that's not how this group functions. We want real experience from real gardeners mm-hmm. and you know to be able to share mm-hmm. that now does that mean that everything you're going to read is correct absolutely not mm-hmm. um you know there's some things like you know we have people recommending all the time to mix dawn liquid detergent right. and you know some mm-hmm. other stuff from under their sink to to control insects which is oh, absolutely the wrong thing to do you know never detergents period um, but if you keep reading the the, uh, you, there are going to be some good things yeah. in there, you know. So you just have to be careful about what you believe. Uh, now, if something pops up that is just absolutely wrong and yeah. could harm a person or plant, yeah. I'll usually step in yeah. and yeah. say Cause, something. Because the using the Dawn liquid and all, it's really not a necessary thing or works that well. But it, it's still, well, it's not horribly horrible advice. Well. Yeah. yeah, but Dawn is a detergent. Detergents will strip the cuticle layer off of a leaf. Mm-hmm. And that layer is really important for disease resistance mm-hmm. and insects. And although you may not see any damage, it is opening up that plant for real issues. So there's a difference between Dawn soap and a surfactant. Soap is different yeah. than a detergent. Soap is, you know, like mm-hmm. insecticidal soap. That's safer mm-hmm. to use. Um, but it's, you know, anyway. So, we invite you to join. I think you'll have a good time with it, and um, and it, you can, uh, you know, if you tag me in it, you're going to get an answer pretty quick. Well, you know, one thing that happens on um, the Facebook that I've realized is a lot of times you'll look at the picture, read about it, and immediately just post a comment. But when you just immediately post a comment, you don't notice there's all these other comments mm-hmm. already. <clears throat> so I'll see some. So if you 
push on the comments and read all of them. That's what I was saying. That earlier. way you're you not redundant a- or there somebody's already answered the proper answer, but everybody else keeps adding things that aren't accurate because they didn't read the whole post. Mm-hmm. And I finally figured that out myself. But it is a good Facebook page. <laughs> well, and now that we've taught you how to use Facebook. But also, <laughs> you know, anybody that's ever had hostas has always, well, I shouldn't say always, potentially had a problem with voles, mm-hmm. V-O-L-E-S. And voles, I was talking to a lady the other day. She said they're leaving her uh, her old-fashioned, uh, what's the old-fashioned green hosta? Green hosta, old-fashioned. Royal fashioned. Standard. Royal Standard. <laughs> they're leaving those alone, not touching them. Of course. But her her beautiful prize, um, true oh, story, yeah. hostas, they're tearing them up. They start to top you the price list. Man. It just, just that's exactly what she garden. said. <laughs> and she's had she's got voles out there eating the roots off of, off of her hostas. And I was like, well, you can try a repellent, you know, like the mole go, which is castor oil. It is a mole and vole repellent. You can surely sprinkle that out there in the beds, and it will help repel them out of that bed. Uh, so that's one way. I said, then there are some baits like vole X or ramic. You can drop these pellets down in every little hole that you see, because you usually see these little quarter-sized holes out there. You can drop them down in every hole that you see once a week for three weeks and try to bait them that way. And then I always say, get yourself some mouse traps. Get yourself six or eight or ten mouse traps. And I've always said, bait it with a little piece of a pecan. I don't care what anybody tells you, green beans, peanut butter, I've heard it all. Get a little piece of a pecan, put it on that mouse trap, set the trap beside one of the little holes, put a clay pot over it, and just start snapping them, right? Well, that I was reading the other night. They said, and this was a from a very influential, like, kind of like Jim, person who knows about gardening okay they said they what they use on their mousetrap as the bait is apple cinnamon oatmeal and i almost fell out of my chair laughing but he said that is the only thing that he uses and the only thing that he would recommend is apple cinnamon oatmeal He'll get about a tablespoon of it, add just enough water to make it pasty, mm. and put it on there, and he swears up and down it's better than anything, even pecans. All right, we'll try that out. We want to hear y'all's experiences with this. Bowls are, are on the move, that's for sure. Y'all hang on for another hour. We'll be right back. The garden help you need. Now, Mid-South Gardening on the Mighty 990, powered by Palladio Home and Garden, with your hosts, Veda Vance, Kenneth Mabry, and Jim Crowder. Welcome back, gardeners, to the second hour of Mid-South Gardening. Love to hear your gardening questions. Otherwise, we've got plenty to talk about because between all three of us now, we've got over 100 years of experience. I would say 200 because we study and Ooh. do so much all the time. Well, I'm not going age. You know how, how a person, two people can work at the same job for three years, but one can know twice as much as the other because. Oh, thank you. That's a nice compliment. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> three That's people, my, uh... can, five people can work at a job the same year. Three of us can know. <laughs> but seriously, I know right before we went to the break, we were talking about, you know, voles and mousetraps. Somebody's got to let me know. Do you know what the coast, closest relative is to a vole? A rat, a mouse. Maybe a mouse. Uh, Mm-mm. No, uh, not that closely oh, related. They know, are the, the same family. But He's going to probably say something okay, like a weasel it? or what something. That's oh. actually um, hamsters, uh, lemmings, and oh, muskrats. Yeah. Wouldn't you say, yeah. 
That'd be darn. Because well, voles are precious. But they're not the ones that they're eating our the roots off of our hostas. But <laughs> let me say this one more time: the apple cinnamon oatmeal. Somebody's going to have to try that and put it on a little trap. And uh, like I said, that you get it you you get it wet just enough mm-hmm. to to make a little paste and put it on there. But apple cinnamon oatmeal. I was like, "There's no way. This is there's no what? way this is going to work." Man, if it does, then we need to invest in that. Apple cinnamon oatmeal. Because, yeah, we've got a caller, but before we go to him, this kind of ties in. You know, between animals, there's, and this is how I feel between the human perspective and the animal perspective. Uh, a, a snake bit my dog. Well, animal's perspective. A predator tried to kill me, and I defended myself. Raccoons are still in my garbage. Animal says, I found some food for my young. Yeah. Squirrels destroyed my attic. Squirrel says, here's a warm, dry shelter to raise my family. Mm -hmm. Skunks dug up my lawn. This place is full of delicious yellow jacket (laughs) nest. See, they're getting rid of your nest. A coyote stalked me. (laughs) A human got too close to my pup, so I followed him to make sure he left. There's a fox crossing my road. The fox says, there's a road crossing my forest. But notice, nobody said anything about the voles and the moles. Yeah, but there's uh, that's proof that there's uh, two sides to every story, right? Yeah, so somehow we, we're we're trying to learn to live together, coexist together. But a lot of times, think about it. Uh, you see a snake, and it wasn't because he was going laughing in the woods, going, as soon as that human comes out, I'm so going to strike yeah. him. You know, we're, yeah. we're just kind of running on into each other. Let's go to Tim calling from Memphis. Good morning, Tim. You're in the Mid-South Garden. Well, good morning. First thing I want to say, Ms. Vade, is that I have no mercy or patience with voles or raccoons. <laughs> I am oh. so with you, Tim. I don't care. I understand. I don't care. I'm in their space. I want them all eradicated. I'm with right. you, buddy. I understand. <laughs> I totally understand that, too. <laughs> well, um, I'm uh, I'm just pulling away from the garden up at school, Ken, and... Um, uh, I wanted to ask, I meant to ask, I told you that we, my wife and I were on a vacation, uh, mm-hmm. in Michigan, Mackinac Island. Yeah. And she had gotten, she'd gotten that little app, the plant recognition app. Mm-hmm. And I'd meant to ask you, and we had the best time, uh, <laughs> taking pictures of, uh, all, all the plants up there. And, and I, I meant to ask you how accurate you all think they are. Can they be trusted? I mean, I, mm-hmm. I would take pictures of things that I already knew what they were, yeah, yeah. and uh, they they always came up, and uh, I'm probably expect I'm expecting Jim to say no, nope, can't be trusted. <laughs> but I'd like to know what y'all think yeah. about those because well, they, they were really a lot of fun. Right, <laughs> right. Agreed with that. Too. Yeah, and yeah. I, honestly, Tim, I think if you get a good, clear picture, um, and you you know the identification, Jim, I think they actually do a pretty darn good job most of identifying of them are what pretty, it is. Most of them are pretty close. For yeah. common things. Yeah. yeah. It's when you get something unusual or if you've taken a cutting that, you know, it's a common plant, but it's by the picture it can't identify it. Right. Some of those, <laughs> you know, are just, uh, they can be a challenge. Well, we had that challenge on your website today or this week. With the uh, the one picture I just showed you, we were like, "What is it?" Oh yeah, mm-hmm. and a lot of people use their lens uh, that that app. I and used I, and it I too. deleted them because it, that's a rule violation. Right? Yeah, you can't. <laughs> but um, but what about we Tim's? couldn't identify it, even though it showed a lot of things that you thought it really could be. 
it really wasn't. So you have to be discerning and cross-reference a lot of times. Yeah, but, but Tim, I think they are really a, it's a good thing to have on your phone because for the most part, there again, if you get up there and get close and get a nice little picture, uh, man, those things, even houseplants, they're pretty darn accurate, Jim, and yeah, data as far as what they come up with. I'm not saying every time, but for the most part, they are. So, I, Jim, Tim, I would say, and I can't believe Jim is going to agree with me, that <laughs> I have no problem using those things to try to identify some of the plant material that's yeah. out there. The only one I would refrain from is the mushroom identification. Yeah, yeah you know, good If you're point. thinking about eating them, <laughs> I, I, I would not trust <laughs> that right. one regardless. Same, same, same. <laughs> so I think, a, you know, in an, edu- in an educational setting, it's fantastic. Because kids will ask me, what's that? And I was like, I don't. I'm not mm-hmm. exactly sure yet, but but yeah. But I know Tim, because there's so many thing, new things out there that we're just inundated with new, and yeah. we're trying to figure it out ourselves. And yeah. I have to be honest, I have one on my phone, but I use it more for, you know, I'll see a plant, and I know what it is. Mm-hmm. I just can't remember the name. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it feels so weird to your brain when yeah. that happens. Yeah. Uh. But Tim, well, thanks a lot, guys. Yeah, great question. Hey, thanks for calling in. Yeah, you have a great question. day, buddy. Thank uh, you, Tim. No, a lot right. of people that go up to Mackinac Island for vacation. Oh, I mean, Tim I is have great. To do that sometimes. He's, he's the best guy, y'all. Uh, he, I'm telling you, he's a, he's a wonderful human being. He really is. And he uh, he uh, he works with kids uh, at school, and they grow gardens, you know, and all chickens and all this stuff. And he's just uh, he's one of the best guys I've ever known. But. He's, he always loves plant material, too. Mm-hmm. And and I know a lot of people have downloaded these apps. Now, I think the apps have gotten better mm-hmm. oh, know, absolutely. over the years. Absolutely. Uh, and I think we're at a point now where, you know, I, we can lean on those things, Jim. If, if, and if you really want one, there you know, you're going to have to pay for a good one. You yeah. really are. There's some free ones out there that are kind of useless. Um, but uh, picture this. Um, it has, there's a picture of this for insects. There's one for um, for plants they're they're good okay now they can be off mm-hmm. so well we can too yes <laughs> i made a mistake once <laughs> god once? please <laughs> you know and and i know we mentioned this earlier guys um other than the moles and voles and everything else that's going on out there raccoons and all the other varmints um um japanese beetles bagworms and tomato hornworms uh they are still Really active right now. Uh, bagworms are just tearing up uh, arbovitis in particular. So we're saying if you've got arbovitis, go out there, take a look at it, and if you see these little cocoons running around just eating all the green off of your arbovita, uh, make sure you get out there and spray them, whether it's spinosad or uh, BT or acephate. Acephate, Jim. I love that product. <laughs> um, but check your your arbovitas in particular and see if you've got bagworms out there. Uh, Japanese beetles, we all know what they do. They're flying around now. I think we peaked and we're on the downslope. Yeah. Thank goodness. Mm-hmm. Um, but they're still out there eating everything up. And like Jim always says, it's not the Japanese beetle that he's worried about. It's the grub where they come from <laughs> that's eating up your yard. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, of course, the, um, the tomato hornworms. I've seen so many pictures and people have come in. With a tomato hornworm, they're holding their arm out as far as they can because they got it in the yeah. cup. <laughs> they don't even want to look at the thing anymore because it's such a huge caterpillar. They're completely harmless. They just mm-hmm. love eating your tomatoes up. Right. Yeah. And have you ever taken a, a, one of the UV lights and gone out and seen them at night? 
They glow in the dark. You've lost your mind. No, that's the best way to catch them. If you get one of those little purple lights and go out there, they are really bright green when you see them in the dark. So it's a whole lot easier to find them than it is during the daytime. Mm-hmm. Is he pulling our leg? No, no. I'm seriously a heart attack. I've never yeah. tried that, though. <laughs> that does sound fun and entertaining. Yeah. That would be good for Tim. They could have a night class. Mm-hmm. It's probably like, no, I we can't. I did not <laughs> know those big old, And it's amazing that they're masters of camouflage. They are. They're one of the biggest caterpillars out there. And for some reason, we can't see the dang things on a mm-hmm. tomato. I don't get it. I know. It. You're right. I mean, what? You can look. You can be eyeball to eyeball to it and don't see it. And mm-hmm. a young lady sent me a picture of her tomato yesterday. And I'm telling you guys, one of the whole top of the tomato, it's nothing left but stems. Mm-hmm. It's, that's all it was left. They're no, like the tenderest new growth. No mm-hmm. leaf gem left on it whatsoever. And it's tomato hornworms that were doing this. And I'm like... How could you not see these things? She's like, I've looked at my tomatoes every day. Yeah. And finally, she realized that she had caterpillars on there that were huge. Mm. And beautiful. I agree. Swallowtail caterpillars are so precious, too. God, I see love what them. she's doing, Jim. Mm. <laughs> but you can't not have a swallowtail, you know? Well, you can't not, not have a tomato either. That makes sense? Well, so y'all remember to plant one for you, one for the swallowtails yeah. or the tomato hornworms. I saw where someone was curious about some eggs on on some foliage, Mm -hmm. and someone said maybe it's tomato hornworm eggs. Somebody else, I don't, and it wasn't on this site, on our site. Somebody else had done a screenshot of the tomato hornworm with the parasitic wasps on the back, and they said, no, that's not uh, tomato hornworm eggs. They carry their babies on their back. (laughs) <laughs> and yeah. I'm like, no, no not no, at all. That's the parasitic wasp. Yeah, yeah. so that was the parasitic wasp. It looked like little white eggs on their back, but totally inaccurate. That mm. means it's slowly dying because the parasitic wasp and lay their eggs on the um, caterpillar, and then they, they seek eat, it out and eat the breakfast. inside. Right. Yeah, you know they're eating it at breakfast. Yeah, and then you mix a little in with your eggs, <laughs> and then. Just Yum. get some BT and get some spinosa or either one of those, <laughs> and it does a really good job in killing those caterpillars on the tomatoes. Oh, are we supposed to go to break, or did we already go to break? Oh, we're supposed to go to break. All right, y'all, we're going to go to break. <laughs> Call us, Good morning, gardeners. Welcome back to Mid-South Gardening. Glad we can join you today. So, um, did you have a Facebook question? Yeah, I had a uh, texter on the Mighty 990 Facebook page, Miss Laura uh, Sladen. She wanted uh, to tell her more that she's listening from. I'm uh, going to, Miss Lauren. Thank you for the text. Uh, she said, can you talk about hollyhocks? Uh, she lives in coastal Georgia. Not a bad place to live, by the way. Thank you for uh, listening this morning. Yeah, I mean, she bought a bunch of uh, hollyhocks and four-inch pots, guys, and planted them in a uh, compost slash peat mix in April. Uh, and she said they don't seem to be growing upwards. Uh, some have become brown and died. I want them in my cottage uh, garden. Uh, what can I do to enhance their success? We so had t- three different answers there. <laughs> Jim said move your cottage garden to... Massachusetts. Yeah. Uh, you know, they don't like heat. Um, and I think also your soil may be an issue. I'd, mm-hmm. I'd like some clay in it to hold on to some nutrients. When I, in a peat compost base like that, there's not much that it can bind to. So as you're watering, particularly if you have sandy soil, you're flushing most all of the nutrients out of that. 
So, so Jim, so compost is a good thing. Peat can be a good thing. They're good things, but they're not fertilizer. Mm-hmm. Okay, they help your microbes in soil. They are they enhance the health of the plant, but you still need some soil. But at the same mm-hmm. time, you still need good drainage too for hobby. That's hops. right. You yeah. want good drainage, but you need something for it to hang on to, or you know. Top feed it or, or put it just under the surface, some osmocote that will mm-hmm. constantly feed and won't just wash out real quickly. Okay. Uh, and I think that'll do it. Of course, hollyhocks need to be planted kind of out of the wind. They're biennials. Uh, what do you mean by that? Well, they, okay, they bloom the second year after you plant them. Now, if you bought a plant, it may already be a year old. Right. So you may get flowers, and, but you'll get usually pups off of it that will then bloom next year and it can be a, and it would continue to do that continue to do that right. yeah so they're they're great plants but absolutely she, beautiful but you are further south than most people would try to grow yeah them. because she said of course some of them have turned brown and and some of them have died and that's not going to be just from a lack of fertilizer that's got to be usually mm-hmm. a root related right. issue or yeah. water related issue and, right, and they get some fungal issues and high humidity mm-hmm. too which so. is a lot of times is brown spots yeah, because the I said we had three different answers, um, which Jim kind of alluded on the others, and the peat was one. Kenneth was like, maybe it's too wet, which the peat could be holding it too long. I was thinking maybe it was uneven watering because a lot of times if the peat's not right, mixed right, then the water will hit certain areas and not leach into other areas. So, but the biggest one is kind of what Jim says, is it's really not its area. To grow successfully. So, right, it's because of the, the high humidity, uh, the heat, mm-hmm. of course. I mean, it, this is not a mountain meadow we're talking about. We're yeah. talking about coastal Georgia. Right. right. You could get a similar looking plant with malvas okay, yeah, that yeah. tolerate heat more. Um, M-A-L-V-U-S. Yeah. Uh, malvas zebranus has a, has a beautiful kind of variegated flower uh, and can get five or six feet tall. Seeds readily. It'll come back year after year after year in all your gardens and then your neighbor's. Right. Uh, so, but it's uh, it really is a pretty plant, uh, and and looks foliage wise looks very much like uh, hollyhocks. Yeah, and you know it's just kind of that old memory of the hollyhocks. Um, you know, here's another thing that foxglove is is frustrating to me trying to figure out how that works because you know you can order them you know from your <clears throat> vendor they come into us fabulously beautiful. And you purchase some, plant them in the ground. Hollyhocks is not, I mean, um, foxglove. Jim, what, Kenneth, Jim, what is your opinion? I'm a 50 50 on that. Well, I'm the, the same fox way with foxglove I am with, uh, with hollyhock. Uh, they're, they're just not the easiest plant, I think, to grow around here. They're again, the big leaves, they're susceptible, uh, susceptible to some, certain diseases. Mm-hmm. You better have good drainage. Uh, the heat, you know, can be a problem. But I'd rather grow foxglove than I would hollyhocks. Holly mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, you know, the big issue here is uh, warm soil temperature and the drainage. Uh, water has to get off their roots. they got to have lots of air around their roots all the time. So that's why you want to plant them in, a, you know, plant them in an elevated mm-hmm. either bed or build that area up so that it's, your soil is three or four inches above the surrounding um, soil so that you get gravity pulls water out of that and keeps it drier. It will cool more at night, and and, uh, and I would mulch it, but mulch it with something like pine needles. 
to, to prevent the soil from heating up. The lighter the color of the mulch, the cooler it's going to keep your ground. Love it. You know, yeah. if you put black mulch in there, yeah. it's going to heat that ground up. If you put the cypress, which is a light color, you're not going to get near the soil heating out of it. Right. So, you know, kind of plan ahead like that. They are growable here. Yeah. Okay. You need to start them early. Figure by late summer, they're going to look like crud, mm-hmm. but uh, you'll get plenty of color out of them if you grow them properly. Right. Well, the what you said is definitely the scenario of this one uh, place that I worked. Uh, she had um, lamb's ear, not lamb's ear, foxglove planted in the raised bed, a little more, sh- uh, little more um, sandy than uh, clay. Okay, raised bed. Then she had, it was boxwoods and daylilies were in the bed too, but the foxglove were planted between the two. Mm-hmm. And it was getting some shade throughout the day, but still a lot of sun. And hers came back every year, but we always replaced maybe one or two, mm-hmm. but it was worth it, you know, and that was the area. But you just can't like plant them out in a barren, hot sun flower no. bed. Yeah. So with Lauren, though, in, in coastal Georgia, you know, with that sandy loam that they have, mm-hmm. Jim, I mean, if you can't find clay, are you still just adding a little more compost, you know, because, or is that good enough to... Or make it too rich? Um, no. I mean, so... I, I think if, you know, if clay is not readily available, right. then I would just go with Osmocote and... So just really you, start feeding for, them. Right. And yeah. so that you get a time release or Agriform tablets. You know, I'm real, I'm a real believer in Agriform tablets. Yeah. I mean, they're not the cheapest way to fertilize your plants. And of course, Osmocote's not the cheapest either, but yeah. they're one of the best ones out yeah. there. Right. And I like the plant tone. That's that's going to be my choice. Or flower tone, David. Yeah. You know? I mean, I've, I've done the Osmocote thing, but now I just like the plant tone. Which is cause just, I mean, it is completely organic. Yeah. It's never going to burn anything. So hopefully that'll help uh, Lauren with the hollyhocks. But just remember... That coastal Georgia is not really the best setting for for hollyhocks. Mm-hmm. I know you want that cottage look, but but if your this, house overlooks the sea, give me a call. I'll come down and make it. We'll make a house call. Yeah, and, right. <laughs> and then when did look at it. When did Johnston? Uh, she texted in on the Mighty Nine Ninety Facebook page. She says, uh, "Please don't associate swallowtail caterpillars with eating tomatoes." People not in the know may get the wrong idea. Oh, yeah, thank you. That is true. That is true. I do like the swallowtails, but they aren't munching on. So you're exactly right, Wendy. Tomatoes. And thank you for the text. Well, also, the uh, one of the things that I talk about a lot is leaving your natural areas alone if they're if they're not like full of debris and all that but you know trying to create more wildlife and diversity but um if you do that there's things that are predators to the tomato hornworm like green lace wings green lace wing lake swing bug and um lady beetles you know those are predators to tomato hornworm so we're trying to do as many things as possible to keep predators in the area as well and that's why we're just starting to incorporate more things than hollies and boxwoods. Yeah. And, of course, yeah. the wasp, like you're talking about. Mm-hmm. But but thank goodness, I mean, to me, if, we are, if we're not, if we were always patient enough, Mother Nature eventually would probably take care of the problem at some one way or the other. Yeah, probably but, take care of us eventually. Right, but we're not. And that's yeah. the thing. You know, a lot of times <laughs> we don't have the luxury of being patient. 
if I've got a big tomato hornworm out there gnawing down on my tomatoes, mm-hmm. I'm not going to wait for the wasp, the parasitic yeah. wasp, to, no. to take care of the problem. No, I'm just going to pull it off and relocate that, it. Or I'm going to go out there and just and nuke the thing with, you know, an insecticide. You're going to relocate oh, I'm it? I'm going to relocate it. And then I can't be responsible for the bird that gets it later. Uh, it's a but tomato hornworm because it needs it. tomatoes. So yeah. you're going to put it on somebody else's tomato? It, on the no, I'm just going to relocate. But it does like pentas. Oh, God. Because... I know. <laughs> okay. So yeah. what are you going to do with this well, now? See, Where that's are you going to put I'm it? Saying. It's going to starve to death I know, slowly right? Right? by moving no, it. No, a bird's going to get it first. That, oh, that's what that's I'm even thinking. Better. That's where I'm going. As long as I don't have to be the one to poison it. You know, <laughs> turtles won't eat them. Oh, that's not good. <laughs> <laughs> All right, y'all. We'll be right back after these messages. Good morning, gardeners. Welcome back to Mid-South Gardening. Glad you can join us this morning. Yeah, if you want to give us a call, 901-260-5926, 901-260-5926, or you can always go to the Mighty 990 Facebook page and shoot us a text there like we have had this morning. And then if you miss all of this, Miss Fade and Mr. Jim, you can go back to the uh, listen to the podcast, uh, kwamradio.com, streaming live all the time. Well, the tomato hornworms, my mother found one on some pentas. And just one, and it was eating the pentas. And so, yeah, I took it off, and I said, I'm going to relocate it, Mom. I'm going to take it down here to the trees, you know, put it where the birds can find it and all that. And she goes, don't you dare relocate that, because it's going to crawl all the way back. Yes, it will. And I'm like, no, it's not. (laughs) And so we searched and searched all over the plant. There's no tomato hornworms, Mom. We're all good. It's way down the hill, way down the hill. So the next day... More of the pinta had been eaten. She mm-hmm. goes, I told you that tomato hornworm could crawl mm-hmm. all the way up the hill mm-hmm. on my pintas. But then the reason why I think I have, so, have such empathy is like from the day I can remember, I worked in the garden with my grandfather. And so he taught me about vegetable gardening and insects and things like that. And he just pulled them off and pinched them right there. Right. Just perfect. pinched them in half. Yes. I mean, he had such big, strong hands, I guess it is. But that was... I took it as that's the way the world is, and that's the way life is. But I felt really sad for the worm. Oh, I was see, like, why couldn't you? <laughs> I mean, you know, when you're just remembering things, that is kind of difficult to endure. <laughs> kind of a drama there. But also learning in the, we also walked through the woods and all of that, and he would teach me about animals, insects, and so you get a passion <clears throat> for them, and you understand both views, the animals' view. And then when you have a yard full it. of expensive hostas view. But but <laughs> if I've got a prized tomato and that sun gun is getting eaten up overnight and I've spent all my energy trying to get this thing to grow the way I want it to and, and, and finally get some great tasting tomatoes, I'm not going to let the little tomato hornworm get in my way. I'm bigger mm-hmm. than he is, okay? Yeah, because they some, do munch out. They yes, can just totally they, take the whole tomato plant, right? Yes, they do. <laughs> And another thing, uh, y'all, that we're seeing, still seeing out there is the volutella blight on boxwoods. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jim, every day, Veda, you know this, people are coming in with samples or pictures, and they're like, you know, with the boxwoods, and we've talked about this, but with boxwoods and evergreens in general, but boxwoods in particular, you know, we did see a lot of damage, of course, from the flash freeze. And that damage we saw immediately. I mean, right after the freeze, we started seeing winter damage. 
And then, Lord forbid, on boxwoods that kind of made it through it or anything that was still green, here recently we're starting to see some dieback on boxwoods. Not from the freeze, but from this volatile blight. And if that is your case and you do have boxwoods and you're just now recently starting to see some of this dieback, uh, really what they want you to do is go in there and selectively cut out the damaged, dying, dead tissue. But it is important to sterilize the blade between every cut. You know, when you make a cut, you dip that blade in Clorox or alcohol before you make another cut. So you can kind of clean the boxwood up as best you can. And then, Jim, they say come back and either spray with propiconazole, liquid copper, or daconil. Mm-hmm. And do you have a preference on any of those three? Or is it just it? any of those three, you're doing your job? Well, I think all of them will do the job just because propiconazole is systemic. Right. Uh, I think it's going You'd to give lean you that way. longer control. You're still going to have to do multiple applications, yeah, I think. On any of them. Uh, but I think, you know, one of the most important things is keeping stuff out of the crotch of those plants. Mm-hmm. Any decomposing leaves and things like that, that mm-hmm. just gives the, the volutella the opportunity to get into the bark because it's keeping it wet. Um, you know, it's, uh, there are lots of fungi that are out there that we call opportunistic fungi. They're always there. Yeah. Okay. Phytophthora, always there. Though you tell a blight, always right. there. But when you get certain conditions, weakened plant, mm-hmm. um, and then this junk inside the, the crotch of the plant, mm-hmm. you're likely to see it. Uh, with Volutella, you'll also likely kind of see some little pink pustules as the disease progresses right in that wet bark area. Uh, that's a way you can absolutely confirm that that's what you've got. But uh, we're seeing a lot of it. I went to uh, yesterday, with Carol and I went to Captain D's over there on Stage Road, uh, and they have boxwood on the south and east side of it, and there was not 2% green in any of them. So those things are just They're toast. just yeah. toast. Yeah. Yeah. And like I said, it's a double whammy. It's bad enough to have all the winter damage that we had on boxwoods. And then with them being in a weakened state, like you're talking about, Jim, you know, Volutella uh, set up shop in boxwoods. And I mean, it, it really is a shame. But I've had a lot of people tell me, though, that they have gone in there and cleaned them up and they have started spraying and they are starting to see some new growth mm-hmm. uh, that's not been affected on these boxwoods. And I mean... Boxwoods across the board. I'm not saying it's every boxwood that's out there, and not every boxwood is uh, prone to volutella like some of the other ones, but across the board, boxwoods in general, man, they took a big hit this year. What a shame. Those poor boxwoods, everything's aiming for those. Oh, well, let's go to Jamie, the master gardener. Good morning, Jamie. You're in the Mid-South Garden. Good morning. I'm I'm sure I'm a little bit earlier for you guys. Y'all were talking about... uh blight or whatever, and that's what I wanted to talk about, just tomato blight. Yeah, well, we're gonna, we are going to cover a number of diseases extensively during the 8 o'clock hour, but go right ahead. Good. I'm going to call back. I'll, I'll call back then. Yeah. All right. I got yeah. a couple of questions. Okay. You got it, Jamie. Sounds right. like a plan. Thanks, Jamie. It was like, Thanks, buddy. there's those tomato issues. Here I'm, we and go. And I wrote down tomato blight in my notes today because... And I'm not going to get into it, but we've had a lot of people bringing in samples this week yeah. uh, of leaves, you know, that had the yellow leaves with the spots mm-hmm. in there. Like, man, what's going on? And it's it's a blight. It's you know, yep. We're going to talk about early blight, fusarian wilt, verticillium wilt, septoria leaf spot, anthracnose, southern blight. You can stop there. And then some of the ones like Phytophthora, which is not really a fungus. It's a water mold. 
Um, and then uh, we're going to talk about bacterial wilt and bacterial leaf spot. Uh, and then we're going to talk about viral diseases like tomato mosa- uh, tobacco mosaic and spotted wilt. Uh, and, Virus. And, and, and then also some physiological problems like loss of men rot and uh, physiological leaf roll. And, and I'm telling you, if people knew... How many things could go wrong with tomatoes? They would never put one in the ground. I cut out about six other things that I had put down here, and I thought, I can't get all that done in an hour. (laughs) No, that's a lot. That is a lot. I know. It's just we're not saying that every one of those are going to happen in your tomato. I mean, I grew an organic garden for like five years, and I did not have tomato problems like that. Um, But, I well, we'll go into more of that, too. You know, I'm really loving that the Merlin app that identifies all the birds. Um, mine identified too that I was surprised the Cooper's hawk, which is supposed to be not around here as much. Baltimore Oriole. So you sure got it right? I know that's the thing. I did some looking up on that too, and I'm like, well, supposed to be, but it's, this covers a pretty good amount of a zone. And it's in the Baltimore anyway. Oriole in forever. Yeah. So I heard the Baltimore Oriole, the Cooper's Hawk, the Green Heron, European Starlin, Blue Jay, Morning Dove, American Robin, House Finch, Tufted Titmouse, Carolina Wren, Northern Cardinal, Northern Marking, Mockingbird, and Purple Martin. And this is like in, in my apartment complex on the third floor, but I'm up in the trees on the mm-hmm. third floor. And then behind me is a, a pasture, and then between the mm-hmm. pasture and the uh, uh, parking lot is like a stream or some you know water. So I guess that's where I get the blue hair. And, and even the blue jay, it seems like I don't see hardly any of those anymore squawking at you every time you, you, know, you walk yeah, past a tree right, where they're in. Right. So I picked up a whole bunch of different birds. It was really neat. There's... Oh, even got not on this time listening, but the is it the kill? What's the kill bird called that uh, walks on the ground, mostly on the beaches? I'll have to look that up. I don't remember which one it is. Don't you remember? Killdeer. Thank you. Oh, mm-hmm. you were chewing. Sorry. <laughs> of course, I'm going to ask you a question little, right when trying to sneak in a little breakfast right there. <laughs> hey, birding is a big thing for for a lot of people, mm-hmm. uh, and I've told you one of my really good friends who's a retired pilot. Out of all things, he loved to fly, right? But he loves watching birds. And one of the biggest things that, the biggest category of birds that he loves to watch Veda and take pictures of and, and even write about are coastal birds. Mm-hmm. So he'll go up to the, the cliffs of Labrador up in, you know, northern Canada uh, and uh, take pictures. I mean, beautiful pictures. And then he writes about all these things and he gets a slide uh, together and he goes to these uh, unanthology. Ornithological? Ornithological, thank you. I know, right? Yeah. Uh, And and I've seen his his presentations before, and they're absolutely beautiful. But it's not just the coastal birds. It's Mm -hmm. it's the bluebirds, the native birds also that we have around here. And I never really knew how big birding was, honestly, until I went to a couple of these events. And I'm Mm -hmm. like, this is huge. I know. Yeah. I just did not realize how many birds that I could have in the vicinity and it just went, because I'm sure like seven years ago, if we tried to identify birds, the trees weren't very tall. So probably wouldn't have had as many. But can you all tell me which one talks the most out of all the these birds? The mockingbird. You would think, but it's the Carolina wren. I hear that. They're very loud. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Constantly, constantly. Well, but the mockingbird has so many different tunes. Oh, it yeah. does, yeah. I mean, it's amazing. you think that there's 30 different birds up uh-huh. there, and it's just the old mockingbird, yep, you right. know? 
Yeah, we have a couple of guys uh, on our Facebook group who put in excellent bird mm-hmm. pictures. Mark Salzman up in Central Kentucky. Uh, he's been taking real good, uh, beautiful pictures of barn owls. Um, oh, yes. Yeah, as they, you know, they're peeking over as they're young and just looking out and studying him <laughs> as much as he's studying them. And then Kurt Hart is local here. He's uh, he does a lot of uh, pictures and 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 does some. He 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 walks the trails. I think out in Collierville along the mm-hmm. Wolf River. There mm-hmm. posted pictures of birds I've never seen here. Well, know? and that was going to be my so, point. You can go right across the river in Arkansas yeah. in some of those little flatland areas, and it's like a bird haven over there. Yeah, well, go down to Sardis and you see all these seagulls. Yeah, that's weird. That is weird. Hey, I'm almost to the coast. Yes, yes, yes. But you're not. You know, owl owl babies have to sleep on their stomachs because their heads are too big to hold up until they get older. We got to go to a break. Well, they should turn them over on their back because, you know, babies are not supposed to sleep on their stomachs. (laughs) I guess its beak holds him up. I don't know. We'll be right back after these messages. Gardeners, welcome back to Mid-South Gardening. Glad you can join us. I'm Beta with Palladio. She is, and I'm Kenneth with Danwest Garden Centers. And I'm Jim Crowder, administrator of our Facebook group, Mid-South Gardening, Gardening and USDA Zone 6, 7, and 8. That sounds mighty official, Mr. Jim. And at Palladio's and at Danwest Garden mm-hmm. Centers, you can find, you know, still find some a few annuals, some yeah. perennials, Veda, some trees and shrubs, uh, you know, planters and potting soils and compost and fertilizers. And, and sales. Yeah. Sales. <laughs> Everything looks so good and pretty at the garden centers right now. This week's coming up. You know, if you didn't get to get your last plantings in, if you get them in the beginning of week, That's this right. may be good. Um, I don't think, ooh, I don't know if I'd want to do an entire landscape now. I think it'd depend on the plants I was using. But definitely, definitely do not plant <laughs> And go out of town. No. And we, we see it all the time. Mm-hmm. They, they go, well, I have, irrigation was taking yeah. care of all this when I was gone. Well, clearly it didn't, you know, and you can't count on that. That's what we were talking about in the first 10 minutes of the show with this heat wave mm-hmm. that, that we're having is I love irrigation. I'm never going to badmouth irrigation. I'm just not because it serves a purpose. But irrigation by itself mm-hmm. is not always the total answer when you're trying to keep things mm-hmm. alive, especially Newly planted yeah. trees and shrubs. As with anything, um, irrigation has good points and has bad points. You know, um, if you do the math and look, if you put a plant in here in the last uh, 90 days or so, it's got no roots out beyond the drip line. Okay? None. It's still all in that yeah. little ball right mm-hmm. up underneath it. Um, whereas if you have a plant that's been established a number of years, the root zone is actually on average two and a half times the canopy so if you've got a box two wood and a half times that is so hard to believe yeah, if, yeah. if the boxwood is two feet across then you've got about five feet of root, root zone. zone so when your irrigation comes on you got five feet of water hitting that plant right but when you got that new plant in there you just got that six or eight inches mm-hmm. or 12 inches directly under the plant it's getting the same amount of water per square inch as the other ones. Mm-hmm. And if you do the math, it's about 13, between 12 and 13%, I think, of the amount of water that your established plants are getting. Right. That's not enough to keep it alive. Right. You know? That's right. Uh, and so, that's the reason behind that, Jim. That's right. You've got to do extra watering on those plants. The other bad thing about it is in most, in our soil here, roots come to the surface, mm-hmm. Okay. 
because that's where the competition for water and air is. You know, mm-hmm. our, our soil is so compact that roots stay up near the surface. They need air. Okay. Um, Who would have but done? if you've got really good soil and you're not irrigating enough, it, the irrigation roots will move to the top of the soil also. The top, top. Yeah. And if it's really good soil, it's draining quickly. So it's actually not getting enough water mm-hmm. either. So it's a fine line there. That's why I was saying that watering is so complex That's early right. in the show that it, and it really is. And a light layer of mulch will help. But you're talking about Veda. I don't mind planting this time of year if you're going to be around to take care of what you plant, especially when it comes to trees and shrubs. A lot of people have it in their head that they can't plant this time of year. Now, is it more risky to plant in this this time of year in the middle of the summer? Yes, it is. Uh, transplant shock, uh, the watering issues that we're talking about. But don't think that you can't. Now, the optimal time to plant, of course, is going to be in the spring and the fall. It's cooler. Yeah. You know, you don't have to worry about the blazing heat that we have in the summertime. More frequent rains. Right. Yeah. So, But don't think that you can't plant. But like you just said, Veda, don't plant and just leave mm-hmm. town for two weeks and think everything's going to be perfectly fine when you get back yeah. home. Right. Yeah, use root stimulator mm-hmm. to get the plants to root out quicker. Uh, I would say definitely don't plant without using a root stimulator like um, kangaroots or Super Thrive with Seaweed. The very first time I used the seaweed product <coughs> as a gardener, I experimented with snapdragons. I fertilized half of them with uh, the root stimulator, and the others I didn't use root stimulator on. And the ones with the root stimulator, because um, well, I pulled them both up to see what the roots were like after a while. And the one with the root stimulator's roots were twice as big or had established quicker than the one where I used nothing with. So root stimulator would definitely be helpful to use now just to get those roots to grow quicker. Yeah, and also the root stimulators help prevent transplant shock. Mm -hmm. Uh, And you can get transplant shock on a perfectly healthy plant, even in the best growing conditions. So, and I tell people, don't, when you plant, let's say a tree or shrub, let's say you planted one today and you plant it perfectly fine. You plant it the right way and you water the right way. Mm -hmm. Well, I'm like you. I want to use a root stimulator after I plant this thing. I'm going to saturate those roots, but I'm going to do it more than one time. I'm going to go out there yeah. once a week for three or four weeks and use this root stimulator to really get these uh, roots off to a good start. And also, like I said, to help prevent transplant shock. And then, Jim, you know, like Veda was just saying, there's Super Thrive, there's liquid seaweed, there's root stimulator, and then there's kangaroos. Mm-hmm. They're all good stimulants. There's nothing wrong with any of them. Some of them work just a little different than others. Um, but, and I don't really have a preference one over the other. Mm, I do. No, not really. Yeah. I think, you know, some of them are for me a little pricey. Okay. Yeah. uh, You know, uh, but they have some extra stuff, you know, kangaroos has got microbes, I think, and other stuff. A lot of mycorrhizae. Yeah. Yeah, Whereas, you know, if you buy something like fertilizer root stimulator, it's endo-3-butyric acid, a little mild fertilizer and that's it. Right. You know? And if you've got a lot to do, that does a pretty good job. Now, is it going to make a difference whether your plant lives or dies? Yeah, it's kind of hard to say. It's kind of like insurance, you know, but it works, mm-hmm. you know, if you need it. Yeah. Um, and, and what we're talking about when we're establishing roots is the really fine ones mm-hmm. that count, the microscopic right. stuff. It's not like you can plant it and see all these big roots come out of your maple right. tree. Okay. Right. What we're talking about is stimulating the stuff that's actually responsible for taking nutrients and, and water into the plant. Yeah. Okay. And that's what 
that's what these uh, products do. That's why cutting some of the bigger roots isn't as detrimental to the plant because sometimes the bigger roots are uh, anchor roots. Mm-hmm. They're holding them down, but that's not really where they're pulling their nutrients from. Right. It's all the little root hairs off the little hairs that are off the little hairs that are off the big root. <laughs> you know, I have transplanted things in July. I transplanted uh, several years ago. I had a huge Edgeworthia, Ooh. a paper bush. Um, and that's where I was going to put my pond. So I had to, had to dig it up. Mm-hmm. It was eight feet across probably, but I cut it back to 12 inches tall, mm-hmm. cut the whole thing back, yeah. removed, you know, all but one or two leaves off of it and then, um, transplanted it. And today it's mm-hmm. back six feet taller. Yeah. But you were smart to cut a lot of that foliage off of there, planting in, in, in the really the wrong time of year. Right. And Mary just texted in Mary Calvary. She said on the Monday 990 Facebook page, she said, what is the best time to plant a limelight? hydrangea maybe uh, in the fall Mm -hmm. and she's right you know fall is the probably the best planting season but why well because you it's cooler you've got uh the fall the winter and the spring to create a really good root system before it gets hot the next year so now but there again just like we said limelight hydrangeas are starting to bloom right Mm -hmm. now people see them they want to plant them you can, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah, digger. hydrangeas really blow my mind how the big limelights can wilt, but their blooms still stay fantastic. Mm-hmm. But, Mary, we'll get more into that on hydrangeas in particular while we can plant right. this time of year. We're going to talk about mater diseases. Gotta love the maters. We'll be right back. The garden help you need. Now, Mid-South Gardening on the Mighty 990, powered by Palladio Home and Garden, with your hosts, Veda Vance, Kenneth Mabry, and Jim Crowder. Good morning, gardeners. Welcome back to Mid-South Gardening. Thanks for joining us for our third hour. If you missed some of this, then listen to our podcast. Mm Mm-hmm. It's really enjoyable, actually. Yeah, and if you want to give us a call this morning like Dwight's doing in Bartlett, and Dwight, hang on one second, 901-260-5926, 901-260-5926. And you can always go to the Mighty 990 Facebook page and shoot us a text there. And we'll get back to Mary, uh, her question about is now a good time to plant uh, limelight hydrangeas uh, when we get a chance. But so, Mary, we haven't forgot about you. We'll finish that conversation. Yeah, and, you know, um, it's real quick about before we go into all the tomatoes. Remember last week when I was talking about old forest, don't lose your old forest, mm-hmm. uh, because uh, birds and other critters and animals, especially birds, love to live in some of the cavities that are left. I mean, like even in old cactuses mm-hmm. in, in um, Arizona and all. So have you ever thought about the fact that we cut down birdhouses to build birdhouses? Oh, yeah. Because oh, yeah. <laughs> birdhouses are, you know, old trees. But, we but I want my birdhouse houses. to look nice and painted and... Yeah, so it can make me happy, and so my neighbors can go, oh, my gosh, look at, look the bird at that house bird that she's house. Got. That's some high-class birds. <laughs> I mean, I have birdhouses with copper roofs on them. Gosh. But, I mean, really, we cut down birds to make birdhouses sometimes. But, um, but, um, but, um, but, um, let's go to Dwight with Bartlett. Good morning, Dwight. You're in the Mid-South Garden. Good morning. I wonder if uh, the squirrels of Bartlett listen to your station. <laughs> Be, because I'm eyeing a my first tomato is beginning to turn pinkish red, mm-hmm. and uh, mm-hmm. wondering where should I get it or should I wait till it's 
optimum to pick. You need to okay. run, drop the phone, <laughs> Dwight, run out there right now and grab that dang tomato. Because you're right, squirrels are being, they're listening. I'm telling you, and if that thing, you get that perfect first tomato and it just starts to turn a little pink like Dwight's saying, mm-hmm. here they come. And he'll take that yeah. tomato, he'll grab it, and he'll wait till you go out there and say, hey, squirrel, give me my tomato back, and he'll take one bite and throw it down. You have to say, hey, squirrel. Yeah, you got to say, okay. hey, squirrel, quit that. Yeah. <laughs> or give me my tomato back, and he'll take one or two bites, throw it down, look at you, and you know how that funny little laugh they have? <laughs> I'm telling you, Dwight. I do. You better get that. <laughs> he does. <laughs> uh, hey, listen, uh, I've got three uh, tomato uh, plants, and they're all doing good, uh, and have clusters, you know, the, yeah. maybe four and five clusters. And uh, I don't really see a whole lot of problems, except I want to ask you about the little white, uh, whatever they are, and the little brownish uh, bugs or whatever. Mm-hmm. And uh, they were getting pretty bad. I had used some seven, mm-hmm. uh, and I don't know if that helped them or not, or if they, or if they thrived on it. But then after the winds and the rain came, I... I got an idea, and I put a pretty strong stream of uh, spray from my hose, and it knocked a lot of them off. What say you about that? Is that? Yeah, I mean, anything you can do to, you know, help rid your plant of insects, and whether it's a mm-hmm. uh, generic uh, broad-spectrum insecticide or whether it's your hose, like you mm-hmm. said, just with water blasting, uh, insects off. Anything you can do, and it definitely helps to wipe. I mean, there are people okay. I know that don't use any insecticides at all. In fact, all they use is, is their water hose. Mm-hmm. So, yes, sir, doing a combination of those things is, is not bad at all. Well, I'm going to try that, and I'm going to listen to some of the things that y'all are going to be talking about. All right, Thank buddy, and I want to see a picture of that squirrel, the, the first, <laughs> that squirrel that gets your first tomato. <laughs> Thanks, right. Dwight. Bye. Thank you, buddy. If we didn't have squirrels we wouldn't have funny videos oh yeah i'd just love to see the ones on that little bird feeder that spins them around 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 yeah watch them hang on <laughs> but it it's it, so it, funny it, it, you know and then you know we try as humans we try anything and everything that we can you know it's not like insects and disease aren't bad enough we got to fight the varmints also and we try everything we can to outwit those dang things and i it, it, it that's what's so frustrating jim no one's come up with a i have I have zero problem with the insects or the um, the varmints. On your tomatoes? Yep. You just don't grow them. That's right. I buy them at Kroger. <laughs> <laughs> I have no issues whatsoever. <laughs> well, and uh, before we get into the tomatoes, uh, you know, expounding on what Mary was asking a while ago about planting limelight hydrangeas, it's the same thing that we were just talking about. You can plant this time of year. Okay? Any day of the year, as long as it's not frozen. And it, if you dig your hole just as deep, twice as wide, and mend the soil really good, plant uh, uh, you know with the root zone a little above grade. Uh, but the biggest thing is, once you do that, you're committed to keeping this thing alive. And that is, that's the watering that we were talking about. And the best way to water a tree, in my opinion, or a shrub, uh, after you plant it, let's say today, is to water well, water deeply when you do water, but then let this thing come, you know, let it air out, Jim and Veda, you know, uh, before you come back and water again. In other words, you don't necessarily have to go out there every day and soak this thing. Now, you're going to have to water a good bit, 
you know, for the first two weeks, maybe three weeks. But that doesn't mean that you're keeping this thing sloppy wet every day, day in and day out. Yeah, the, the things that I planted this spring were transplants, and then I, I put in <clears> that, that nice hydrangea I got from uh, from Veda. Uh, it, it's having to be watered every day. Um, it just it just sucks all the moisture out of that existing root ball. Uh, but, you know, once it gets back down to the 90s, I, uh, low 90s, mm-hmm. and I, I don't think that's good. It probably can go two days usually. Mm-hmm. Thank goodness we're getting a rest. Yeah. Now, I would uh, make sure that I put a little layer of mulch on top of that root zone after I planted it there again. It helps keep the ground temperatures a little cooler, and it helps uh, hold that moisture in there. So, you know, more than anything, when it's this hot, whether it's pine needles, whether it's a shredded wood bark mulch, I like using a mulch uh, for those two reasons in particular. So keep that in yeah. mind. And then one more real quick, guys. Um, let me read this right here. It uh, Jane uh, Overcast, she texted in on the Mighty 990 Facebook page, which anybody can do. She said, I was gifted a willow tree. I was gifted a willow tree rooting. Okay, back in April. I couldn't uh, get help to get it in the ground. So last week I put it in a large pot. Should I keep it there till fall, question mark, uh, should I apply a root stimulator to it now in the pot? Mm. Uh, to me, yes and yes. Yeah, that that's too, that's because really you would might have to water less if it gets in the ground. It's already in its established area. <clears throat> so it depends on how much roots are in there already. But then at the same time, a lot of times it's easier to care for anything in a pot. Well, yeah, and this is, so. this is a willow tree rooting, so this is probably not a big specimen we're talking mm-hmm. about here. Uh, yeah, and I would take that pot, I would move it somewhere where it gets good morning sun, maybe even afternoon shade, to be quite honest with you. Uh, water that thing is needed, a little light layer of mulch, even on top of the pot. And I would still use a root stimulator, even though Definitely. it's in the pot. Yeah. You know, mix that stuff with water, pour that in there. Uh, and as far as I know, I don't think you can ever overdo a root stimulator i don't care if you do it every you know once a week Mm -hmm. uh, in that container but um uh, jane i still think it's better uh i think it's less risky for you to go in there this fall when it's a little cooler and and plant that willow no doubt about it i wouldn't try to do it now i had um a couple of four inch pots on my patio that i was going to plant and it got right i don't know how long it had been dry this little four inch pot but the Vinca wasn't wilted yet. This is the Vinca bedding plant? Yeah, Vinca bedding plant. And I was thinking, you know, I'm not going to put it in the pot yet because it's so hot and I don't want to damage the root hairs breaking it up. So I got home and it was right at that big, big time. It needed water pretty quick. So Mm -hmm. I actually took it inside, poked some holes in it and soaked it really Mm -hmm. good. This was about three o'clock in the afternoon. Soaked it really good, left it sitting on the counter. The next morning, it was bone dry mm. because it was so dry that it pulled all that moisture up. So a lot of times, just because you've watered something doesn't mean it's going to make it 24 hours. I mean, this happened indoors in the ref- in the refrigerator, indoors in the coolness, and it still took all the water out. So then I thought, you know what, if I actually go ahead and break the root ball up and plant it in, in a container with more soil, more dirt, mm-hmm. more protection from <clears> other plants... <throat> It's the same difference as letting it dry out so quickly and waiting it for, for me to rehydrate. Well, and then potting soils have a bit, you know, there's a lot of different types of potting soils out there on the market. Just because it says potting soil on the bag mm. doesn't mean it's the quality potting soil that you need to be using in a container. Let me yeah. just put it that yeah. way. That's true. There's a lot of different ones. All right. 390-9898. Number you need to know to call. 
Get your free quote this week on taking care of all those weeds in your lawn. Yeah, you know? they're saying, Jim, if you live in Arlington, Otoka, Bartlett, Carrierville, Germantown, Lakeland, which is a good ways out there, uh, Millington, even Mumford, Oakland, and Somerville, uh, what kind of lawn or insect problems are you having? Fire ants, not a problem. Weeds, not a problem. Brown spots, bare spots, all of those things in those areas well, of course, we're talking about the company Herbie Systems. You know, our let me kill your weeds guys at Herbie no, Systems. No, it's let me, let me kill, kill your weeds. Let me kill your weeds. Yeah, Jim says it better than I do. Our <laughs> let me kill your weeds uh, guys at Herbie Systems, they can solve all those problems. They've been making our Mid-South landscapes beautiful for over 30-something years. So Herbie Systems, locally owned, which we like that, and has a team that maintains over 11,000 customers' properties. That's amazing. They can maintain your trees and shrubs, too. Maintaining your lawn can be mm-hmm. a complicated process. Yeah, whether you're dealing with insects or need to irrigate your soil, Herbie Systems has your back. Guys, the best lawn care program right here in Memphis, Tennessee. Jim said, let me kill your weeds. It let never sounded so good. Like Jim was saying, for a free quote this week, uh, give them a call, 901-390-9898. Uh, that's 901-390-9898. And just tell them you heard about uh, this on Herbie Systems on the Garden Show or just say KWAM. Once again, Herbie Systems, take care of all your needs, 901-390-9898. Welcome back, gardeners. Welcome to the third hour of Mid-South Gardening. We love being with you. We are live. We do start at 6 a.m. here because, you know, gardeners, we get up early, so it's no big deal. <laughs> no big deal. Six finish. o'clock in the morning, yeah. pretty big deal. <laughs> <laughs> but one thing that we wanted to do this morning was really talk about tomatoes. Uh, and, and other than the squirrels that uh, Dwight was talking about a while ago, Jim, uh, tomatoes, they can be problematic. They can be. And we're going to talk about some of the diseases. First one we're going to talk about are, are the fungal diseases. The most common one that we have around here is early blight. Okay. Mm-hmm. It is soil borne. Uh, it splashes up usually from the ground and it's lived in a tissue that's remained from the previous year. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> it's fairly easy control if you start early. Mm-hmm. You know, dacanil, chlorothionyl, uh, mm-hmm. or, or copper mm-hmm. are very good. Um, one of the couple of things you want to do is grow it properly. Um, keep, put some light mulch up underneath it to prevent splashing up onto the foliage. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we still want to rotate our tomato crop anyway, we, don't yes, we? Yeah. Every, at least every two to three years, yes, ro- rotate your crop. Plant them far enough apart so that air movement gets through them. You know, don't plant them side by side where they're going to touch because you're just, giving yourself the the proper conditions for disease and i see that all the time honestly yeah. where they just got them, they got them in there way too thick right so anyway it starts out with spots on the lower leaves then the foliage yellows and it works its way up the plant mm-hmm. we also have a problem a disease problem here called late blight and just recently i saw an expert on tv say that late blight was the primary problem here um, I think he is mistaken. Yeah, we don't uh, see as nearly as much late blight as we no, do early blight. And, it, yeah. and it's different. You can tell late blight typically starts at the top of the plant, the newest growth. Um, it can be anywhere else. It has a um. Mm. The uh, well, I'm going to cover it a little bit later. Well, let me ask you this: Is there a is there a solution, Jim, to late blight? Is there a fungicide that will control that? 
Um, yes. Okay. You can use the, the same fungicide, okay. copper or coronal. Um, the way you really can tell, of course, other than early blight starts at the bottom, and that is when you get lesions on the foliage, um, the, they're going to be, with early blight, they're going to be black. Right. Okay. If you have late blight, they're going to be tan instead of black. See that? I mean, I'm like, I'm like you know, I'm going to walk out there and I, I'm going to see my tissue start to turn mm-hmm. uh, and I'm going to see those spots in there. I'm just going to start spraying. Right. You know? Mm-hmm. Now, early blight typically has the first spots are, are, are small and they'll have concentric rings around them You're and right. then it expands. Now, you won't see that with late blight. Um, late blight is really a, a different disease it's a water mold it's phytophthora it's not really the fungal issue that we see on other ones it's the one that was responsible for the great irish fam uh, irish potato famine back in the 1840s where millions of people died because of the potato because, uh, because of, of late something to eat. Yep. yeah so anyway those are two two of the biggies uh another one is the wilts uh those are vascular diseases there's no cure for those mm-hmm. they're going to in most cases kill the plant mm-hmm. some of them are not quite as bad um you the way you can tell is if you take a cutting uh off or just peel the the outer layer back you're going to see uh streaks inside there now with fusarian wilt it doesn't spread from plant to plant, okay? Once you've got a plant that's infected, it just needs to be removed, mm-hmm. okay? Uh, verticillium will, will spread from plant to plant. And also, you can take even a leaf and a leaf stem and peel it back on those, and you'll see streaks. Which you, you see the black streaks in there, Jim? Right, but yeah. you won't see it on Fusarian except in the stem. But, but you still get the wilting, though. You get the wilting. Yeah. And again, there's no cure, but Fusarian can spread quickly. Uh, I mean, Verticillium can spread quickly because once it, it gets on the leaf or, or, or fruit, it produces uh, mycelium, the little white growth, and then you'll get little fungal spores, and those spread quickly in the rain. Remember when I said there are so many things that can go wrong with tomatoes? This right. is what I'm talking about. And verticillium can take out your entire crop. But a lot of the hybrids that we buy now are more verticillium and fusarium resistant and than, or say, the heirlooms, right? Right, okay. yes. If you're planting heirlooms, these are much more of an issue than you, right. on most of the new varieties. Another one is septoria leaf spot that yeah. we see a lot of, and it's going to be white spots basically on the foliage, has a black border around it. Uh, it starts typically at the bottom, moves up, totally defoliates it usually. Uh, and again, though, if you start early, it's controllable with daconil or copper. Same thing. Same right. products that we use for early blight, right. and even some cases late blight. And then anthracnose, another problem that we deal with, and that typically is a fruit disease. Uh, it attacks it, makes sunken spots on there. Um, it can persi- persist in the soil for up to three years or so. Good Lord. Um, and once it gets, again, on that fruit, it can spread because it produces the same little spores that it can, as it when it turns black and sunken, then it can spread to so other plants. So pick the fruit off and Get come back off. and spray right. the same products, right. same whether it's product. microbutanol or... Same fungicides, yeah. Typically daconil or copper. Okay. Southern blight, another issue. Now, this one's a stem disease. Uh, And, again, it's a little difficult to control, but it is, if you start early, you can stay ahead of it. Now, it typically starts as a lesion right at the ground uh, Hmm. and then eventually girdles the entire thing and the plant wilts and dies. Um, You can almost always stop 
Southern blight from happening if you keep your pH up at 7. Crazy. It likes a lower pH in the 5 to 6 or below, even down to 2, they say. Um, so mm-hmm. as long as you keep your pH up around 7. I would 7, have never thought that just pH would yeah. make a difference on whether I'm getting southern blight or not. It will on my almost always inhibit yeah. it. So that's that's one way. Um, there's no, The only really control for it that I know of, uh, I, I haven't. you can still order it online. I know is we used to have a product called 4, which was PCNB, pentachloronitrobenzene. Now the four is Mancozeb, so it's a different product. It's hard to find Mancozeb now. It is. You can, I've seen it online, though. You can still order it. But PCNB will control Southern Blight, uh, and you can you can probably order it online under a different name. Uh, so, but if you've got a Southern Blight, it's probably to your advantage to order it and treat because it can stay in the soil for a long time. Now, it typically only stays in the top two to three inches. Mm. So you know, want to get in there and till it deep okay and it will help inhibit again your your issue but if you just keep that ph of about seven you won't have it uh, late blight we talked about hey, he's talking me out of this he's yeah. talking me out of planting yeah. tomatoes late blight we talked about you know it's uh, the spores are wind blown so again with late blight you can get it can wipe out your crop uh so including potatoes like you said Jim. right so it's it can be a real issue uh, and then we're we're going to take a break here, I think, and then we're going to come back. We're going to talk about uh, the bacterial problems, the viral problems, and just some things that are physiological that Good aren't really a big issue. Lord, and, and and like I said, and the reason that we like to plant heirlooms is because of that wonderful original taste that's never changed. And right? you can save the seed and get the same thing by planting them next right. year. Right, but being an heirloom, they're not near as resistant mm-hmm. to a lot of these these pathogens that Jim was just talking about, especially when it comes to some of the, the wilts like the fresarium and the verticillium, yeah. even nematodes, those kind of things. So we have to be really vigilant watching these heirlooms in particular. Now, I'm not saying hybrids don't get their sh- find their share of problems, but heirlooms, man, you got to really watch those things and be ready to jump on it if you start right. seeing a problem. Like we right. say, the, the disease is there already, but we mm. cause things to make it Go ahead and start thriving. Much easier to prevent than mm-hmm. to cure or stop. Right. Mm-hmm. And it's things like um, more air circulation, pH, as you said, um, better soil sometimes. Better sometimes the sun soil. baking on the soil can cause a problem. Some of the little minor things can cause a huge problem. Mm-hmm. Uneven watering, that can be an issue. So like we were saying, preventative is the best thing. But if you're getting it now, we're still wanting to do something about it mm-hmm. and there are plenty of things to do and like i say if i hadn't have grown tomatoes successfully for so many years that list of stuff would really freak me out but it's we're not saying no. your tomato gets every single one of those we're just trying to help diagnose the broad you know there's a lot of listeners out there and everybody's got to do no and i'm always kidding disease, i'm definitely so. going to grow tomatoes and you know sometimes you can get by uh, and not have any of that stuff happen yeah, to you sometimes. to your tomatoes. Yep. Doesn't happen to mine, like I say. Always pretty at Kroger. <laughs> <laughs> Hang on, we got more tomato. Jamie, give us a call. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Miss South Garden as we talk about tomato issues. 
statement. You can give us a call back. He was ready to talk about tomatoes. Uh, tell us a little bit about the tomato contest, Jim. When you, um, what's his name again? Jamie. Jamie, tell us more. <laughs> <laughs> about the tomato contest, Jamie. Well, we, know, right. we know that the tomato contest is going to be July the 15th, okay, coming up. Are we in July yet? Is this yes, today is the first. Good Lord Almighty. So on the 15th, guys, from 9 o'clock to 3 o'clock at the, uh, at the Red Barn at the Agri Center, and, um, you know, the uh, we're going to have Jamie and some of the guys up here next weekend. Right. Uh, we always have them up here a week before the tomato contest, so... Uh, that'd be a lot of fun. And, uh, yeah, tomatoes are just now starting to come in. So mm-hmm. this is perfect, really, timing for the Great Tomato Contest at the Red Barn at the Agri Center from 9 to 3. That's July the 15th. But, Jim, people that are trying to grow tomatoes for the Great Tomato Contest, they might be having a little problem out there. Well, some of them are. So that, and we're going to talk about a couple more things here, and then uh, uh, we'll um, get off of tomato diseases. All right, there's... With any of the wilts, okay, the wilts attack through the vascular system and clog it. When you first get a wilt, what will happen is during the day, you'll get um, it to wilt a little bit and perk back up at night, kind of mm-hmm. like a hydrangea does. Uh, and then it gets progressively worse as it continues to block the vascular tissue, tissue and can't move water up mm-hmm. uh, and eventually kills it. Um, one of the ways you can tell between fusarian and also and verticillian wilt is that with fusarian, you can, it will attack often half the plant because it's blocking just the tissue on one side. Even on a leaf that comes out, half the leaf will be on one side will be green. One will be yellow. Oh, that's weird. I wonder why it's like that. Because Jim. it's only blocking the tissue. You know, the in in tomatoes, the, the vascular tissue runs pretty much straight up. Right. Okay. So it's blocking just those, so you get half. Oh. Okay. With you won't see that with verticillium, and ver, and verticillium wilt has kind of a characteristic um, damage to the tissue. It's kind of V-shaped. Uh, it will be narrow at the midriff, and then it will widen out, and it'll be light tan usually. Uh, so you can tell the difference. But still, the the main thing is, you know, if you begin to see one wilt and then perk mm-hmm. back up like that, it may be a wilt disease, and you want to remove those. Now, it can be confused with what's called physiological leaf roll, right? which is just the plant it's a self-defense mechanism because it's getting so hot, it's losing so much moisture through the yeah, foliage. That tomato will roll that leaf up. That's yes. right, to, to help shade amazing? itself. Mm-hmm. So, you know, and that typically you'll see it on the outside of the plant, the top of the plant, the internal leaves won't do it. Now, do they unroll, Jim, as they, they do. at night? Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that's uh, that's typically one of those the. There's also some bacterial leaf spots that will cause nearly total defoliation. Mm-hmm. Uh, typically, don't kill the plant, but I would, in most cases, you can remove them. Um, bacterial leaf spot is actually controlled also by copper or mancozib, any right. of the fixed metals. It also would, can be controlled with a fire blight spray. Uh, an agricultural streptomycin mm-hmm. will stop a bacterial leaf spot. There are some labeled that way. Um, but... Typically, if you think it's bacterial or one of the wilt diseases, mm-hmm. I would get the plant out. And don't put it in your compost pile. Get as much of it out as you can and put it in the garbage, okay? Because some of these things can persist into the soil for up to 15 years. Good Lord. Okay? 
Uh, and then you have the viral diseases. The one that's the biggest issue here is uh, spotted tomato wilt virus. Um, it's moved by thrips. And one of the things is that in your yard, there may be 200 different other plants that can harbor the disease mm-hmm. without getting it, without suffering from it. So it can be moved from chickweed to your tomatoes. And, and, and chickweed looks just fine. Yep. But the tomato's not. It's going to show the symptoms. Right. And what you'll have is beginning the the leaves at the top of the plant will curl. They typically have black spots on them. The veins will turn kind of purplish brown. Uh, and, uh, it, again, it's one of those diseases that you want to quickly get it out. Mm. The other one we see is tobacco uh, mosaic virus. Don't it's, smoke uh, around the tomatoes. Yep. Don't touch them if you've been smoking. Uh, it typically doesn't kill a plant, but it will cause the fruit and the leaves to be mottled color, like a variegation sort of. Um, you know, it's why most like things like orchid nurseries will not allow you into the plant if place if you smoke. Uh, because True. you can be you transmitted yeah. off of your hands. Roses uh, are the same. Right. Yeah. yeah. So anyway. And we see a lot of people out there smoking away <laughs> right around those tomatoes. I'm telling you, that's not something you need to do. Right. And then the other disease that we see on tomatoes is the blossom in rot, which is not really a disease. It's a calcium deficiency. And, and that one's easy to, to really control. That's right. But you need to use the right kind of calcium because if you're liming and there's plenty of calcium, it may be fine until the soil gets super saturated. Mm-hmm. If you're overwatering or if we're having a very rainy season, calcium chloride cannot be absorbed by the plant. Mm-hmm. So you need to go to a different type of calcium, and that's calcium nitrate. Calcium nitrate, calcium yeah. chloride. What did I say calcium chloride? Cal- yeah. Calcium carbonate, which yeah. is lime, uh, which is bone meal. Yeah. Uh, those cannot be absorbed when you've got super saturated But you're soil. saying, Jim, use either calcium nitrate, nitrate or calcium chloride. Chloride, yeah. and that will fix the problem. Remove all the damaged fruit that you've got. They're not going to fix themselves. They're not going to get better. Mm-hmm. You're just going to waste energy on those. And calcium chloride is like yield booster. It's a liquid right. it's that a you liquid. dilute and pour or spray. Calcium nitrate is a granulated product that you sprinkle around the tomato and water in. Right. But both of those do a really good job in controlling that rot that gets on the bottom of the tomato. Like Jim said, not really a disease like the other ones. Right. And again, checking your pH is definitely a good thing because a lot of these things that you do won't work well if your pH is off. That's and true. if you use a lot of compost organic matter, your pH mm-hmm. usually stays kind of neutral. So that would be helpful. Let's go to Jamie, the master gardener. Good morning, Jamie. Thanks for calling us back. Thank you. I, I, I just the blight was what I wanted to get out, uh, and the, the most common thing is the blight and the blossom end rot for yeah. us in this part of the country. No doubt about yeah. it. Now, after listening to, to Jim's monologue here, <laughs> are you ever going to plant a tomato again as long as you live? <laughs> Not so. <laughs> <laughs> Not so, because at the end result here, it's all worth it, the effort and the, and everything else. Looking forward to being with you guys next week. But the but the uh, the blight thing, uh, if you don't get it really really quick, you you've lost that plant. Yeah, and um, I'm telling you, Jamie, in just this week, I've had more people come in with samples mm-hmm. with blight on their tomatoes than I have you know this whole year. So it's it's out there. And I've been telling people, clean it up as best you can, get any leaves on the ground, get them off of there, and then come back and spray, like Jim was saying, with either liquid copper or daconil, and you can control it, but you got to get on it, like you said. Well, if you you go two or three days, and you just lost the plant. But anyway, thank you all so much for mentioning that, and I really appreciate that. 
And of course, this contest is coming up uh, what three weeks from today. So actually, two weeks. Two from weeks from today. Weeks. Yes. Yep. And we're looking forward to it. So and we'll see y'all next week. All right, All right Jamie. Thank, Thank you. you, Jamie. Tell Jan we said hey. Yeah, y'all look on the uh, Master Gardener website, and you can find out all the information you need about the Great Tomato Contest. There's prizes. There's education. There's a lot of fun. So y'all should try that out, and maybe we'll be lucky to have a little better weather than what we had the last three days. And if you remember last year, the Great Tomato Contest, I mean, Veda, Jim, y'all going to be judges this year, aren't I'm you? Not. I, yeah. I'm the only one this year but, with a bunch of other good people. Yeah, and there's some federal judges that mm-hmm. are going to be judges at the Great Tomato Contest. Great people, I'm Always good you. to know them. Yeah. <laughs> Just, <laughs> Just in case. <laughs> there are a few um, people you always want to know in life, and that's a, that's a good preacher. Uh, a good <laughs> revenuer and a judge. <laughs> and, yeah. and if you got all those in your pocket, life is great. Right. <laughs> You're not kidding, buddy. But if you remember last year, the tomato that won more of uh, of the awards than anything was an old-fashioned heirloom called Mortgage Lifter. Remember mm-hmm. that? Yeah. Uh, and, it, you know, that kind of shocks me because there's so many tomatoes out there on the market. And we remember we even had the guys in here that were growing those great tomatoes. But it doesn't matter whether you're growing them for yourself or for your, for other your friends or even into to enter into the great tomato contest. Uh, those things that we're talking about more uh, sun than shade, well drained soil. Betty, you mentioned the comment and Jim about uh, pH needs to be up. They really need to be up uh, between six two, six eight, six five at least on yeah. tomatoes, in my opinion. Uh, and if you just do those simple things, good air mm-hmm. circulation between the tomatoes. And if you're going to plant some heirlooms, still, I would maybe put some hybrids in there also. Right. Spray your soil. Go ahead. No, you go ahead. Spray your soil with um, kangaroots or has to grow, Mm -hmm. garret juice, Mm -hmm. fox farm, something like that's got a lot of beneficial microorganisms. And the world record tomato right now weighed 11 pounds, 11.65 pounds. Jim, we're talking about tomatoes, not pumpkins. No, this is a... (laughs) tomato that's the world record right now so let's see if you can break it bring one out to us and, you know, 11 pounds maybe, you, you know, imagine how big that do thing like is. these guys who fish and cheat to stuff lead weights yeah. down in the center of them yeah. <laughs> y'all are gonna have to get an x-ray machine out there jim hmm making me think here all right to a break real quick when we come back we'll talk a little bit about indoor gardening Welcome back to Mid-South Gardening. So houseplants are a good thing to play with if it's just going to be too hot outside and you, you still need to get some gardening on. You can do indoors gardening, patio gardening actually, terrariums. Terrarium's a, full, a fun thing to do. You can build a whole little yard in a terrarium, actually. What's, what's the key with a terrarium, though, Veda? I mean, is he picking the right plants? Oh, there's so many different varieties of terrariums now. Yeah. And it is picking the right plants, but also some terrariums can be open air. Some terrariums can be closed up. Um, Maidenhair fern does really good in the closed-up terrarium because I love that. all the humidity. And when you're keeping it closed, what you do is water it a little bit and then put the top on there. And that usually creates enough moisture to keep it going almost all the time. Every once in a while, you might have to add a little water. But then you can use uh, one thing pretty or neat about terrariums is the pretty jars you can use. Yeah. You know, you can use any kind of glass jar. You can use a mason jar um, all the way up to, you know, big 
globes. I've basically. seen those globes where you know the side has been cut out of it, mm-hmm. and they're kind of in the, on this little wooden pedestal that they just sit down on. Yeah. So before anything's even in them, they look good. Right. Yeah. yeah. You, know? <laughs> you know the sealed ones can last forever. This one uh, guy named David Latimer built. Uh, that has been sealed now for 53 years. Wow. You've got to be kidding me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, not done anything to it since it was sealed. I've heard of that. Oh, what about when you find the uh, bottles that are in the woods and there's some dirt and moss and growing little ferns growing up in yeah. the bottle, and the bottle has been in the mud so long that the ends are clogged, mm-hmm. but it's still this little microenvironment going on in the bottle. So... Try terrariums. It's a lot of fun. You can do rocks and sand and fairy gardens, moss, sticks. You know, you can just create an oasis in your house. Mother mother had a big bowl that had the cork top on it. Mm-hmm. And it stayed on the patio, um, on the uh, den coffee table for years and yeah, years and years Yeah, that's where I've always years. seen them, yeah. And we were like threatened with your life. Don't you dare. Don't you dig in there. Don't ever take this top off. Now, is there anything, you know? maybe, that we, on regular houseplants, that let's say you got in front of a window on a western side of the house. Mm-hmm. You know, is there do's and don'ts this time of year? I mean, I know that houseplants are actively growing yeah. this time of year, and this is when they really thrive. This is when they take off. So other than watering and feeding, can these houseplants, can they take that, that sun in front of the window you know, there? if it was slowly acclimating to it, maybe so. Yeah, some of it would depend on how it was grown first, because mm-hmm. if it's been shade grown, it's going to cook in the window. Yeah. Okay. If it had yeah. been grown in the sun, it's going to be just fine. Okay. Um, you know, and plants that I like to do in windows like that are the uh, mother-in-law's tongues, the sansevarias. Right. They, uh, they actually can grow in full sun quite yes. well mm-hmm. if they've been grown that way. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's the way I grow all of mine. I just bought a new one, a little uh, bird nest type that's got beautiful variegation on it. Um, and, but Those I are can, neat plants. I just mm-hmm. feel like it has been shade grown, so right now it's sitting on top of the microwave before okay. I mm-hmm. acclimate it to go outside. So, um, yeah. I got you. So there's really... I mean, it's just common sense. I mean, mm-hmm. if you see yeah. a plant that's in front of a window and it starts to burn, well, you need to move yeah. it. That's right. Well, always, Wrong plant. Yeah. yeah, I recommend a shear in between. Yeah. You know, but... Um, and some plants so. still need ultraviolet light, uh, or, and a lot of that can be filtered out by glass. So, mm. you know, it's always a good idea to give them some um, additional light. If, you know, if they're not happy, then think about Take moving, them outside and put them in the them shade. Outside, give them, or where they'll get a couple of hours of morning sun and then, you know. And, and a good way to have a plant inside is to uh, take it outside. Yeah. You know, let right. it stay out there but, when you but, have a party or but something. But don't put that thing in. out there in full blazing, baking afternoon sun, right? Not That's more, my point. Yeah, particularly if you've brought it, if it's been inside, right. don't put it in full mm-hmm. sun. It's going to cook those upper leaves. You know, that's what happens with a lot of people go, oh, you know, I want to top this tree, you know. Well, those leaves that are up <laughs> inside that plant are very, the cuticle layer is very thin because it's they filtered been light. exposed to that right. full blazing sun. Much like, you know, where the top has been used to the full blazing sun, so it's fine. But when you do that, it cooks the foliage mm-hmm. down through that plant. And it can really, you know, really hurt a tree by doing that if it's not done at the right time of year. And if you want a tropical oasis in the shade on your patio, you can really get that look with the house plants. Oh, you can. Yeah. Think in party plants like fatsia. Yeah. You know? oh, yeah. They go indoors or outdoors. Cast iron plants, mm-hmm. indoors or outdoors. <laughs> uh, ficus trees, the different varieties of those. 
But you can. You can enjoy a tropical look on your patio mm-hmm. and then bring your plants in the mm-hmm. winter. And a lot of times our plants in the winter, they hang on. They look pretty good and all. But then when you can get them back outside, you rejuvenate them. They really them. take off yeah, when you get them outside. And watering and feeding. You know, if you're using a water-soluble plant food, I mean, you can feed your house plants every two weeks. Mm-hmm. If you're using a granulated fertilizer, depending on what it is, you know, uh, like Osmocote, for example, you can feed them like every two to three months. But I still like to feed the house plants this time of year. I like to take them outside, like yeah. you're saying. Make sure you put them in the right spot. They're not in too much sun, but they're not in deep, deep shade either. Mm-hmm. And if they, if you're not taking them outside, maybe check and see if the leaves need to be cleaned or washed off. Possibly need to add some worm castings to uh, build the soil back up. <clears throat> a lot of times, you'll see in house plants where you constantly water in the same place, and you've got a divot in your right. soil, and your soil <laughs> you start seeing a little bit of roots exposed. Just a little layer of worm castings on there helps tremendously. You'll see new growth from it. And eventually all houseplants are going to outgrow the pot that they're in if you keep them alive long enough, you know. And this is also a good time of year uh, to get in there and bump them up. You don't go from a 6-inch pot to a 12-inch pot for that mm-hmm. same houseplant. You just don't do it because you've got right. so much soil now that you're trying right. to moderate the, wa- the water and it's impossible. So let's say if you got a six inch pot, you go to an eight inch pot, mm-hmm. believe it or not. You don't, right. maybe a 10 at the most, but yeah. I would still just go a pot size up. Right, right. Uh, and use a good high quality potting soil in your repotting beta. And we've gotten some really rare, I've got one of, one of the rare philodendrons in now that's really cool. And I can't even tell you the name of it because I can't say it. Well, the people. But you've got to look. I've got, because there's like four, over 450 varieties of philodendrons. And I'm just trying to get every one of them I can. And people, <laughs> the these the the people that are buying house plants, it is the neatest thing I'm telling you because they are involved mm-hmm. uh, more so than any other group that I've ever met before in my life. And like you said, the philodendrons, they don't want just the old fashioned philodendrons. Well, they do, but they yeah. want these new hybrids that are on the market mm-hmm. also, Veda. And it's pretty cool because people are educated. When they come in, they know what they're looking for when it comes to these house plants. Yeah, now I have to say we don't order the grocery store plants or the big box plants. We don't order those. That's my point. And that's what we used to only sell. Right, right. And because, gosh, I cannot believe the different foliages of things, the alocasias. I said the pothos ivies, the philodendrons. There's so many varieties, the ficus, the rubber tree plants. There's so many different colors of rubber tree plants now. You can really create some some killer indoor looks. Uh, if you've got atriums, you know, we've got huge plants. And, and like atriums. the Audrey ficus, like you're talking about, mm-hmm. you know, because when I was growing up, it was just the Benjamin, yeah. you know, ficus, just the old-fashioned small lead ficus tree that none of us could ever grow. Mm-hmm. Now this Audrey, the fiddle leaf fig, of course, and the Audrey, they're both great-looking right. fig trees. right. So, um, yeah, and the other thing is, too, is like some of the fig, fiddle leaf figs, or the, not the fiddle leaves, but the Benjamin mm-hmm. ficus and all, when they come in, I, <coughs> I wait like a week or so before selling it. Because, don't, even, don't even look at that thing at the right. top every leaf it's got. Yeah, because, I mean, you think about it, it's going from uh, Florida, wrapped up hmm. in a truck for days, unloaded at one location, reloaded loaded at another location and ficus are picky so we i would say 99 percent of the time never have a leaf drop issue but i still wait because i don't want you to come in and get the plant and then it has the leaf drop issue from being shipped 
So there, you know, there's that sometimes, but things flush out really quickly. They do, and they're yeah. but they're notorious about doing that. I mean, you can move that thing from one room to another to start dropping every leaf it's got if you look at it wrong, if you water it wrong. But they are, they're still fun to grow. Oh, shit. And, and I know, Jim, I know, but hold Jim. something real quick on the voles. You know, we <laughs> said the mouse traps. I want somebody out there to use the apple cinnamon oatmeal as their bait and see if it'll catch the bowl. I'll sleep a little after breakfast. <laughs> we'll see you next weekend in the garden.